Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Y'all a brew heads? Yeah, we brew heads. So pour a glass of craft beer. We can do this. Yeah. What's good, y'all? This is C Certified Brewhead, and welcome to episode 70 of Beer Not the Podcast Adjunct Series Quarantine Edition. That's pretty ridiculous, really, when I think about that 70 episodes of this quarantine thing that we thought would just be a few weeks. Here we are. Hilarious. So, um, great podcast tonight, guys. This is a brewery I've wanted to talk to you for quite some time. I, I'm very eager to learn a lot about them, but before I talk about that, you know the vibes. It is time for the sponsor of the episode. So this episode of BOS is brought to you by Dr. Nick's Amazing Man Stuff. These guys are a fantastic company based out of Massachusetts and they make, I can't even say that word probably, yeah. And they make stuff for people with hair on their faces. Um, these guys are super cool, man. Like I say this every time, but basically we don't really work with a lot of sponsors and I really clicked with these guys because they have a craft beer ethos in the way they approach their products. So I received these back in January. I used them every single day, um, essentially until now. Um, we're working with them from, uh, April through June. So, you know, just want to make sure we're letting everybody know what they're doing. So each week I've been sort of focusing on one of their products. They do beard balms, beard oils, and this stuff called face sanitizers, which is pretty interesting because it's sort of like some shit you just spray on when you're out and it sanitizes your face and your beard as well. If you leave your mask on with that as well, it's cool. So this one I'm going to talk about this week quickly is the beard balm this thing is uh is pretty cool i was doing this completely wrong at first i was rubbing it on my hand and that's like this little white stuff and then putting it on my face and then i actually read the damn instructions and you're supposed to just put it on so smells great this one is their number seven so they've got different scents this one from their signature series and this smell is lime zest citrus fruit and pine it's super dope they um the craft beer ethos comes in where they only use all American stuff. Everything is American made. The packaging to the essential oils used to create the products. They're actually blessed by a Reiki master in Hawaii and sent over. And essential oils are different to cheap fragrance oils because the essential oils actually use the products that they're trying to replicate. For example, if it's vanilla, they actually soak the stuff in vanilla. It's very similar to craft beer, which I really enjoy. Um, speaking of the beer, they have this one as well, the Beard beer Series and um, Beard Beer, yeah. And they're doing a Brewmaster series. This is a made to smell like an IPA. They have a stout one as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they're doing a Brewmaster series where basically uh, they're collaborating with some of the biggest breweries in uh, New England, including Trillium, Treehouse, Lawson's, uh, Vitamin C, a whole bunch of them. They're actually working on recreating their biggest beers or a uh, beer of their choice into a beer, which is so dope. So if this is of interest to you guys, uh, of course, we have a discount code. You can use the code BAOS21, BAOS21. You get 15% off your order. They're about 20 odd bucks each. And if you order two things, so you get over $40 um, in your order, you get free shipping in North America. So you're going to need more than one because you want to smell nice, mate. So check them out. I'm Dr. Nick's Amazing Man Stuff. Put it on your face. Maybe they can use that for a, for a tagline. Now, with that said, um, these guys, I don't think I only discovered them last year, if I'm not mistaken. Shouts to Tim. Uh, made out there in Oshawa, uh, sent me some of their stuff. I'm pretty sure it was him anyway. Let's give him the credit. And um, yeah, I've been sort of following them pretty heavily ever since. I've been really impressed with all the different stuff they're making. And lately I've been more fortunate to try some more um, of their beers. And I'm just like consistently impressed. It's just super dope. So I'm going to let these guys come right on in. We have John and Ted from Bermanville, Ontario's Chronicle Brewing Boys. There you are. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Great to meet you guys. Great to see faces finally. I love it. Welcome. Thanks for having us. 
genuine pleasure is mine, boys. Um, yeah, man, I'm super excited to to, to learn a, a lot more about you guys. I feel like you guys have really passionate uh, followers. I feel like a, a number whenever I post your stuff or whenever I, whether it's on BOS or my stupid review thing, um, I feel like people are like really excited, like they're super amped to tell me their favorite one or tell me how much they love that particular beer I'm uh, I'm drinking. So. I'm super, I'm really curious to, to sort of get the story and you know, hear how you guys generated that you know, level of dedicated consumer uh, you know, in, in the region. Um, but before we do, beer time. We're smashing the pills? Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> pills. This one is called Clockwork Automation. Sick label. You guys are really known for the labels, man. You guys really do not mess around. I love it. Automaton. Yeah, is that what that is? Yeah. What's it from? <laughs> yeah. It's just like an Android, just sort of like a sci-fi, uh, badass, uh, metal bio-destroying machine. Well, then. It's usually like a clockwork robot, like a robot that's made out of gears and cogs and stuff. Steam-powered, that's an automaton. Okay. And is it slightly steampunk. Slightly steampunk. Okay, yeah. I was about to say, is it from like a genre of stuff with yeah, sci-fi steampunk? Yeah, 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 and this label too is made by uh, a good friend of ours, all the way from Australia. Oh no way! Yeah, he's actually made three or four labels for us at this point. Is he based in Canada or is he actually out there? He's in Queensland. In Queensland. Uh, right. Shout out to Rob Donaldson, super talented. He does a lot of our um, really beautiful, like full wrap um, illustrated labels, including Beautiful Cultist, Ignorant Farmer. Uh, most recently, Chimera, which I hope you have a chance to get into tonight, and Clockwork, yeah. Yes, I love it. Um, how did you connect with a, with an Australian um, designer? That's pretty dope. I'm just taking photos, sorry, for the, uh, for the thing after. <laughs> Hence, I'm popping out. It's all good. Um, we kind of connected with them uh, the same way that a lot of our uh, branding is sort of, and you know, our logo is centered around RPGs, sci-fi, tabletop games, that kind of thing. Uh, the first, uh, for, you know, when the brewery was starting out, one of our first partners in terms of events was a really awesome live play uh, podcast, an RPG D&D podcast. And they had a cool, they're called the Invictus Stream, and they had a really cool sort of uh, fan base and great community around them. And one of the people they put us in touch with uh, was Rob, who was a fan and a friend of the creators who we're also friends with. And uh, he started doing work for us, and he's just super talented. And, you know, everyone in that sort of um, RPG fan space, everybody's just so eager to collab and get along. And it's a, it's a really group. It's a great group of people, just like very similar to craft beer, like that kind of community scene. Hmm. That's fascinating. I love that, man. At least there's like yeah. a nice little consistency that, that ties into you know, what you guys are into. First of all, cheers. Sorry. Get it in you. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers, boys. Cheers. Mm. Sorry, I think Ted, you were you're about to say something, and I cut you off with a with a cheers. Oh, I was just gonna say, uh, he usually uh, paints his labels and then digitizes them. Oh wow! So he takes them two two three months sometimes. Uh, and he he paints out most of the label and then he adds a, a little bit of touches with his uh, digitally, and it ends up making something so incredible like that. Yeah, this is like actually if you really stare at it, like this is intense. There's a lot going on. It's a it's a giant painting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Do you ever? Um, I guess I haven't been fortunate enough to get to the brewery yet. Have you? Like, do you have any of the original paintings or anything uh, in the brewery? 
we don't have any of the original paintings, but we do have uh, some of our art blown up into painting size nice. and displayed as a kind of display. I love it. A couple, nice. a couple of choice pieces. That's very cool. I can imagine this book is super dope in a brewery, like particularly with all of the labels together. Um, I love it, man. Tell us about this beer. It's just a nice 5% crushable Pilsner, nice and dry, great um, malt profile, a little bitter, a little grassy, great nose, great head. Yeah, talk about it. Um, so, you know what? Uh, it, it's definitely a lager. Calling it a Pilsner is a bit of a, in, in terms of like, <laughs> can be a flashpoint sometimes. Okay. No, it's a flashpoint for a lot of people because a lot of times it's a Pilsner if it comes out of Germany or Czech. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we, we wanted to let people know it's going to have mm-hmm. some snap to it and it's going to be a bit of a, got, got some hop character, some pretty aggressive hop character instead of like the Budweiser that you'd uh, kind of expect. Right. Um, so, yeah, we ended up pushing a, you know, we, we wanted it to be fairly kind of have a, a decent amount of bitterness. Um, and the grass character, which I kind of like, uh, I think it complements well with some of the noble properties of the hops. So, and I feel that that kind of aligns up nicely. Couldn't agree more. It's a, it's a beat, man. It's super crushable. I, I, I got to try this one uh, a few weeks back and really enjoyed it. And I was, uh, it was tough to hold off. I was just holding up going too hard on, on your stuff because I knew we were doing this. I didn't know what we were drinking. So I was like, ah. Oh. One more. I was like, should I? Like, uh, I like doing appeals on the podcast. You know? um, no, I yeah. love it. Now, was this um, your first? Excuse my ignorance here. Was this like in? Is this a style you do often? Because I know that you know, brewing lagers is a tank space kind of hog and bit of a investment there. Uh, this this we've done loggers in the past. We actually have a logger we've been doing for some time called Faster Than Light, okay. and it's a it's a light logger. And uh, this is our first foray into like a pilsner kind of that style mm. like a hoppy lager okay uh, and we're really happy we're really happy with how it came out i think this is the third batch of it maybe okay. that we've done second or third batch um and i thought it turned out kind of you know where we're looking for it turned out really nice and in terms of tank space uh we've been fortunate enough to kind of been working on some expansion projects and and kind of growing our uh our seller space so we have we have the capability of doing a little bit of loggers gotcha and yeah. spoiler There's alert, enough. we're going to be leaning more into loggers, so <laughs> something exciting there to look yeah. forward to. Nice. That is really great to hear. I feel like it's, uh, you know, it's what all the kids want to drink these days, and I personally would prefer this almost over anything. Or at least if I'm like, someone's yeah. like, oh, I'll get you some beers. I'm like, yeah, give me some Krispies, man. Like, cool. I, you know, we've had them. The haze is amazing and all the other stuff, but I'm like, ah, I just, just want this. So super happy to, to see this one. Um, I actually forgot to ask you both even beforehand. What what are both you? What are your roles within the brewery? I imagine a brewer, founder, something like that, or maybe a bit of both. Yeah, well, I'll start. Uh, Ted is a founder and also uh, our brewmaster. Started as a hobby brewer years and years ago, and Ted and I are old old friends. Up that predates that. Um, my role in the company is more sales-oriented marketing, managing the front of house, that sort of thing. So the division of labor is sort of production and the other side of it, though obviously we both love craft beer. Um, and we have some some other partners who couldn't be here today. We're a small team, but a super, super tight-knit sort of family. And uh, my brother is uh, also production uh, part owner as well and in cellaring and QA. 
and we have a super talented brewer we were fortunate to take on this year. And then another big piece, I guess, would be remiss to mention is uh, the other founder, which is Rachel, Ted's wife, who's our accountant and constant voice of reason. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I love it. Okay, there's a bunch. Well, you know what? Let's get deeper into that. Let's, uh, can we touch on how, you know, how you guys met and both of your individual beer histories? I'd love to hear more about the homebrewing and all that type of stuff and then how that led to the foundation of the group. Yeah, I, uh, so I, I went to school for microbiology. I work with yeast in college, uh, university, did an undergrad project on, on yeast, studying its uh, genome. Uh, and then uh, you know, I worked in biotech for I don't know, uh, seven, eight years. Decided to to leave and uh, start my own company. Eventually, you know, I, it was really similar transition of going from biotech to beer. You'd be surprised. Like wow. I was making vaccines uh, in the same equipment that we're using for this. Just no cost way. ten times more money. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then, uh, so it was it was it wasn't that big of a jump to go from like that industry to this industry. And uh, you know, you get to work for yourself. The thing about you know working in the kind of the food and drug industry, or like the, the pharmaceutical industries, you have no creativity, you have no control. Mm-hmm. You got to follow, follow the kind of exactly the procedure to the T. And, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to express yourself creatively. That's what it's really about. Okay. And then you were homebrewing um, as well at the time? Yeah, since day like since I've been nineteen, I've been brewing something. I'm sure Johnny can tell you some stories of the first uh, brews I got up. But I I started with cider, and I did a lot of cider. It was always okay. uh, like apple wine and cider. Moved on to beer a few years later. Uh, I've done a couple other things in between, and so I homebrewed for a few years while I was working at my other job, and then uh, you know took the plunge, started the company up. Were you like with the homebrews? Like like what made you want to actually start a brew? With the homebrews, like super fire. Uh, I I like the the freedom. Again, it was mostly freedom. You know, sure. I had a stuffy job, and then I wanted to move into uh, kind of doing something for myself and building something on you know your, yourself. And I had uh, Johnny and Alan. Uh, Alan is Johnny's brother. It, they kind of were involved in the scene. Like Al started with me day one. Johnny came on very soon after that. So they've been with us from almost the beginning and. Uh, you know, I, the brewery wouldn't be what it is without them. Um, and, uh, we're, I'm just fortunate. I know that really kind of helped the fact that, that I had some, uh, some people there with us at the start. Particularly all the friends. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. John, tell us, tell us your, uh, your beer side and then we will uh, move on. To yeah, for beer. sure. So, um, Ted can attest that I'm a long time, uh, beer and just all in all drink appreciator. <laughs> um, <laughs> since we started as, uh, old friends he would have met my brother in college and i would have been a few a couple years younger and yeah as soon as ted was brewing uh, i admired it but i also was able to partake and my interest in craft beer was uh was budding as well and uh and and just sort of spirits and, and all of that wine as well um yeah as time went on just sort of you know we stayed close and uh ted was pursuing home brewing more and more and more and sort of when the time came, uh, I was interested in craft beer. I was very excited at the um, at this leap that my friend was taking. And, you know, I thought maybe I saw a place that I could kind of squeeze in and help and uh, and help, you know, do do something small to, to, to help grow it and help see Ted's uh, 
Fed's vision to come to fruition, he's, uh, it's really been amazing. It's really been amazing. And uh, through it all, you know, being able to meet people in, in the craft beer world has been great. And it's only deepened my appreciation and, and all the exposure to the knowledge and the networking and everything has really been uh, tremendous and educational. And, you know, that's, that's a nice thing about craft beer. And I'm sure Ted could speak to this uh, better than I could, but, you know, it's such an organic um, sort of study and field and, you know, loggers were passe and everything was hazy and now they're coming back. Right. And there's always going to be that next thing that you can deepen your knowledge on and your appreciation appreciation on and, and, and your education on. And so um, it, it's exciting to be part of something that's living and growing. And yeah, I, I'm loving it. We're loving it, I think. so. That's great. I love that. It's even cooler when uh, you know, I own a business as well and I, I completely align with that. I could not work for anything. I was a horrendous employee. So I'm totally with you on, uh, on that. Um, as far as the, the, the brewery itself, now, were you guys from Bowmanville? Like, why did you choose that region? Um, so my folks live in uh, Port Hope. And Johnny lived oh, in uh, Bowmanville by chance. And then uh, it just kind of, we had a couple of places in, in, in mind. And then this is the one that panned out. To be honest, when you're looking for a business, uh, trying to find the right location, like a, a lease space, is actually very challenging. Okay. So when the right thing came up, and it wasn't even the right thing at the time, it was like sharing a shop with somebody else. You know, we started there, and then we kind of gradually took over more and more and more. So, you know, it was almost on like a, the, the hope of the future. It's like, we're going to take on this lease. So the lease had a, a huge amount to do with it, the right location. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah, you're right. That's what I hear uh, from, from most breweries. Are when they're looking, it's, it's more just like all the stars aligning with a cool landlord. Exactly. And- all the things that you need, you know, brewers are quite a complicated place um, to build. So, um, what was I going to ask? God damn it. Okay, so Bowman, were you the first one in Bowmanville, though? I'm pretty sure you may have been. One before us, Man Antler opened okay. in Bowmanville, and they are uh, five or six years old now. Okay, and when, that was my other question, when did you guys open? When did you, when did this all start? We broke ground in 2017, and uh, we, Open to the public in March 2018. So it's been over three years. Okay. We've been open, that we've been open. Actually, we've been open. Okay, amazing. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. That area, I think it's, it, it probably turned out to be maybe more of a, an even better idea than, than maybe how it seemed at the time, because I feel like that whole region has kind of blown feet. You guys come under Durham, right? Yeah. 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 So like that whole thing from probably what, like, um, Whitby, I guess. I'm not sure if there's much happening in Ajax or Pickering, but all the way sort of out now, there's like a whole brewery region in and of itself that's like there's some really genuinely fantastic stuff coming out of that area. Yeah. What's that been like for you guys, like coming in and, and literally when you started is probably when like when it'll began. Maybe Man Antler sort of hit it off a little earlier. I know town, I think, were around the end of 2018. or They were the same year as us. Same year, 2018. Um, yeah. And a few of the little beasts, I think, was around that time and, and so on yeah. and so forth. So, yeah, how, what does that look like? Because I just think it's super cool. It's, it's almost like there's two waves of breweries in Durham. Uh, like, there's the kind of ones that start at first. There was a few there okay. with, uh, I think, uh, Five Paddles and Man Antler mm-hmm. and maybe Second Wedge. And then 
uh, a bunch came in after it, it was, it's like blown up a lot. And now I think the Durham region is kind of like a lot of people do drive out from Toronto to go visit like all the breweries and it's almost become like a kind of tourist route, a nice beer tourism route. And it's yeah. awesome. Yeah. We're right yeah, by the 401. So jaunt off to come to us. It's a hell of a good day trip. And that's right. We're an excellent company. There's a ton of great breweries around us yeah. and you know, it's actually good. It's good for beer tourism and it's, and it's good for beer. It gives people a better reason, people who are further away, a better reason to come all the way out here. Um, you know, yeah. and we're just eager to share with everybody. So that's a really good point though. I think it's one of the only industries that's like that. Like it's sort of, would, would someone who lives in downtown Toronto drive out there for 45 minutes to an hour to visit one brewery? Maybe, maybe not, but would they do it to visit five or six breweries that are all great? Like, yeah, sure, of course they would. Particularly this time. Anyway, Absolutely. Right? And, you know, when based on everything that's been happening, it's uh, it couldn't be sort of more convenient. So, I mean, that that's super exciting though that you guys were, were like you said, the set, probably part of the, the earlier part of the second wave of, of German breweries, it sounds like. Okay. Um, so the actual, like, Oh, actually, no, you know what, before I go, I was going to talk about the styles and stuff, but I guess we'll talk about that maybe more as we go. One thing I want to double check, though, with you guys, um, did you ever, were you guys the ones, I remember there was a brewery that um, almost was borderline cease and desist all the time for a lot of the labels. Was that you guys? Were you guys doing some cheeky stuff early on? Or am I maybe confusing it? That could have been we us. Never, I mean, yeah. that could have been us. There's a, a potential for a cautionary tale, but we never received a season desist. Although we, I'm never sure once. we've warranted one okay. <laughs> over the three years. So I wasn't. hundred percent. Yes. Cause I think I only got familiar with you guys in the last year, year and a half, maybe. But I remember seeing earlier on the beers looked amazing. And I was like, Ooh, I, I think it's hilarious. Anyway, if you like push them, you know, they're not distributed. So it's sort of like, you're not really yeah. hurting anybody. Um, but it was like, ooh, cheeky, I like that. Like, uh, And now you guys seem to have really found like a groove with your art. I mean, we'll, we'll touch on that earlier, but um, that's pretty That's pretty dope. What, like, since with that context, obviously, you know, nothing ever happened, but what, it feels like you've moved away from the cheekier, like, you know, boundary pushing labels now. Is that accurate? Um, or not quite. I, I think yes and no. Like we, we, especially with our one-offs, like, you know, we're a very small brewery um, just in general. And so when we produce a one-off beer, I think we feel like we have a little bit more liberty. You might be talking about a couple thousand cans and it's pretty safe to, to move these sort of things. And, you know, there's, I think there's a bit of concern that if your marketing is, um, too blatant or too, you know, cheeky, as you put it, people are concerned that what you're really interested in selling is what's on the outside of the can inside the, instead of the inside. Uh, that's, that's never been us. Uh, we care tremendously primarily about the quality of the beer. And I think it shows in the product, but um, everything, all the dressing is just sort of, you know, the things that we care about and that we think are fun and that we want to share and a bit of our personality uh, beyond just the, the brewing so we are moving away from it, but, you know, don't be surprised with the one-offs if you see some really on-the-nose funny stuff because it's hard for us to, you know, it's hard to get that monkey completely off the back. We have a lot of fun with some of our branding. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, 
Okay, that makes sense. I feel like you've done a really great. I only ask because I, I always feel like that, um, uh, like well, the the marketing side of it. Like I am a social media agency, I have a degree in marketing, so like I'm always looking at that type of stuff. And I thought it was like it's like a great way to kind of get attention. And even though, as you said, really, you know, obviously it's not what's on the outside; it's what's on the inside of the can. But it is what's on the outside that's going to grab attention initially, particularly as a new brewery, and that got absolutely got my attention. And I kind of been watching ever since and watch closer after I got to uh, finally try like, Oh, wow, this, this is as good as it looks. Like, all right, fantastic. Let's watch. And I feel like that everything I've seen and everything we're going to have tonight and, and whatever, I feel like you've done a really great job on sort of making this nice cohesive label, um, you know, branding, I guess, overall with, um, like you said, you've, you've got a few different artists doing things that are important to both of you, um, you know, representing that on there. And everything just looks like it's from the same which is uh, which is dope, but whilst also being yeah, our, our genre, yeah, exactly. yeah, our genre, yeah, 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 which I really like. So I just want to, I always want to ask you guys if, if I was remembering correctly because I feel like it's been a while since I've seen something super blatant, and I was like, was it critical or was it someone else? Like, good to know. Um, no, on May, May the fourth, we released four Star Wars beers. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> and, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And obviously, um, what's the stout, the Imperial stout um, uh, with vanilla, I believe? It's got the Star Destroyer. Yes, and that's got the big yeah. uh, ship on it and stuff. That one, that one, big I, Star Destroyer. I, I don't know why, I just remember that as you mentioned Star Wars. I'm like, oh yeah, of course, you cheeky bastards. Nice, you got away. I like it. <laughs> um, as far as the styles and come back to that, um, when you open, what did you guys open with? Like, what's, I know, even before, what did you open with? What did you open intending to brew? Like, what were your intentions uh, as far as the styles? And then what did you start with and how did that progress? Well, I mean, before we brewed our first beer, I kind of liked, I was thinking, you know, some of the more traditional styles. I know it's crazy. Like, I wanted a, a Dunkelweissen or something like that. You know, I wanted a Doppelbach or um, there's a couple of them that I really was, I really liked at the time. And uh, I, I kind of got more into more some of the new styles. This is just before, like 2017 is just when things New England's are starting to come. Yes. Yeah, the, things are just starting to come to Ontario. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was just like opening the eyes. Sours became a thing like that. Oh, sours were already a thing, but they started, at that point, there was only two sours in the LCBO. I think it was Jam Up the Mash and Nickel Brooks Zap. I think those were the two sours that existed in Ontario. And so we opened and I was, I, I had them. I really liked them. And I like some of the traditional styles like Lambics, like Crick and such. And uh, so we did a sour day one. Okay. We had a, a West Coast IPA day one and uh, a couple dark beers day one, and a couple easy drinking beers day one. And then everything changed after that. And then, you know, we started doing more New England's and we started doing more sours. Now people kind of know us for that right. at this point. Okay, and that's sort of what I was asking. Like, did you did you start with that? Because you are correct. Is that I remember distinctly trying the first um, New England. I think it was like to, like in the fall of twenty sixteen, and then yeah, I think it was sixteen. No, it was sixteen. It was Collective Arts. It was um, Collective Arts. Like, well, I was actually thinking Juicin Sawdust was the first one. I oh, had. Juicin. And then um, yeah. we went to Vermont not long after that, and we got to try a bunch of you know, Hill Farmstead and all that stuff. And I still didn't really understand the style then, and. And then I think that was around the time that Velvets came out with Milkshark and then um, Jelly King. Um, and, uh, and then it kind of all went crazy from them. But at the same token, 
I've been watching back. We have a, an employee of our company, and he's been doing clips of the old episodes to just put back out on YouTube. So I'm reviewing the clips, and I'm watching myself like obsessed. And so I'm like annoyed watching my old things. Like, shut up, get dude, get over it. But I'm always asking Bruce about hazy, everything being hazy because it, it was so. Um, it just wasn't happening here. And it was so few yeah. and far between. And you had the purest kind of brews being like, no beers aren't supposed to be like that. And obviously a lot of people got past it. But at the time, it was that real initial um, you know, wave, particularly around the time that uh, probably you guys got the, the place and started to, to map it out. I think 2017 was the pivotal year for sure for Ontario, yeah. for, for, for all of those styles. Um, yeah. So what do you think you guys like? I, when I think of you, even because this was the first pills that I've had, I pretty much exclusively, I'd had the, the, um, the Star Destroyer, the, the Stout, um, positive, I had a, um, a sour or two, but mostly it was haze. Um, is that what you feel like you've become, you know, people have come to know you for at this point? What do you think? Like, are you, if people think of Chronicle, what do you think they think of? Is it like, are you known mostly for your New England IPAs or is it maybe a bit of a bit of everything? I think that, um, if I may, one of the things that appeals to people is that we tend to carry a really wide selection of beer and a wide, um, sort of all over the spectrum. For instance, we have, our patio opens tomorrow, which is super exciting, okay. uh, getting through all this COVID. And we've got 19 beers on tap, right, that basically span the strata. And, you know, at any given time, 12-plus beers in the 19? fridge. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, we have 20 taps, and one's, uh, one's uh, just seltzer for the boys to keep them hydrated. So uh, <laughs> That's amazing. Right, um, That's a lot of beer. Hazy beer, of course, um, you know, we sell a lot of IPA, so it's something that we make a lot of, and it's something that um, Ted and Al and the team has put a, a ton of effort into uh, the process on, and it's a product that we're extremely proud of, and, we're, and we've um, taken that and we're moving it into pale ales as well because we think that there's a really growing uh, segment of the market that wants all the beautiful, tropical, hazy expression of hops, but maybe at a little bit lower alcohol. Um, the other style of beer that we probably sell uh, just as fervently is uh, kettle sours and namely fruited kettle sours. So we kind of hit a lot of the, uh, especially in the hot season, fruit experimentation, that sort of thing. Um, but really like, we just dropped our first Pilsner over the last couple months, the clockwork. And now we have our third batch coming out, I think. And, you know, it's been amazing, the reception to that. So I think that initially we're sort of known for having a large spectrum of beer and then zeroing in on things that I thought we were very good at um, sort of figuring out the minutia of and really getting the process down. That'd be hazy IPAs, pale ales and, and sours, of course, and now, yeah, we're, we're, I think, really upping our lager game. And it's exciting for us, I think, to just to sort of be, um, you know, be able to fit all the sort of slots on the shelf with, with really high quality, great, great beer across the board. So. That's awesome. Go on, Ted. Yeah, we have, we have four lagers in the tank right now. Nice. So we got, uh, yeah, we have a Pilsner. We got a uh, sour lager. So it can kind of goes the best of both worlds. Yeah. Okay. 
We got a yeah, an amber sour, like a Marzen-esque style lager, and then we just did a Hellas today. That's amazing. So like yeah, people should so really loggers. Crispy Boy Summer from Mount <laughs> 2021 is the year of loggers. Hey, yo, thank God. Yep. I feel like it took a while, eh, in Canada. Like, uh, like you know, in the States, they've been into it for a bit. I feel like it's really, like, this year it's starting to really pick up, which is great. I think that uh, Bellwoods kind of had Bellweiser for a little while, so they kind of premeditated the tra- Like, they knew, they knew. They knew. Yeah. And same with, like, Blood Brothers with Blood Light. Uh, well, I don't know that. Not Blood Light. No, Blood a, Light was there. Well. It was their Pilsner before, then they changed oh, was it? it. They, Funnily enough, yeah, Patrick told me that they had Blood Light and Toad of Light, and then Blood yeah. Light was a light lager, and the Toad of yeah. Light was a pale ale, and then they ditched the Toad brand, and then they put that beer into the can of Blood Light. So I actually completely changed, after they got the cease and desist, for the, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is, <laughs> funnily enough, for their label, <laughs> they um, they just replaced the beer. But they started um, okay. uh, Blood Vile, obviously, after the Shed Fire. Bloodfire, yeah, yeah. Bloodfire, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's cheeky. That's yeah, cheeky. That was super cheeky. And it's in the same font and everything. And they, they get away with it too. But once again, I think it's the power of no distribution. You know? Yes. Which, which keeps no one's going to get this. you got to um, come to the brewery to get it. Yeah, right, which makes it sort of more special and fun. And uh, you know, I mean, obviously, you guys in Ontario have the blessing of um, the delivery, the shipping, which I love because we don't have that here in Quebec. Um, I, like I was going to ask, I don't want to go on about it too much because we're all bored of it, but you know, the whole COVID thing, um, you guys were already canning obviously pre, pre all of this, right? So was it, was there much of a pivot for you guys? Well, actually, so, so we had a small manual canner, uh, in just before the pandemic started, but we had plans to buy a like automated canner. So we got a three head automated canner two months into the pandemic and we kind of, we kind of like put the order in at the very start of the pandemic because we were, were going to anyways. So we went from this monotonous, like horrible manual job where you actually have two cans at a time and you put it on like seam them one by one, right. took an entire day to do a thousand cans. Right. And then we got this new canner and it takes an hour. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So now that's why. And it's better quality too. Of course, yeah. yeah less, better quality. Um, is it called DO, the dissolved less oxygen? Like yeah, the dissolved yeah. oxygen is a lot more controlled. Amazing. Yeah, exactly. And how was that for the, so, uh, it, I guess, yeah, go on, go on. I was just going to say, like, it, it just made it the transition to a uh, higher can volume more mm. palatable. You know, we didn't have to kill ourselves to do it. That's so fortunate, right? Particularly when a lot of yeah. breweries are you know, begging for yeah. uh, the, the mobile cameras and stuff and weren't exactly set up for it, so... That's really good. Yeah. And also, I feel like there's something to be said about um, consumers already being used to purchasing your products in that format. So it wasn't weird to maybe if they came to the brewery and leave with the you know, two, four packs or something like that and, and whatever. But now they're probably, now it's sort of drilled into everybody, but I don't think everyone behaved like that. Now they, they know. Because you, you didn't have to train them. They already knew that that's what you guys offered. Yeah, we've, we've been doing cans since day one. We had a small canner from day one. Smart. Yeah, that would have made things a lot easier. Did you have any other, um, did anything else change during, I mean, obviously every region has different rules and different stuff. Did anything else, did you have to pivot in any way or was it all pretty straightforward for you guys? Yeah, I mean, just like everybody else, we had to pivot for sure. Um, dance with the apocalypse. So uh, <laughs> we... 
That's a good beer name if you haven't done it. Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> We, uh, geez, what did we do? We applied for a temporary patio permit and then we built an, uh, 800 square foot outdoor winterized patio that we used for a couple of weeks. And then we, uh, <laughs> uh got shut down. Also, it, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> meantime, we, uh, sort of doubled our production space over the last year. Um, and, uh, increased our seller space by a factor of about two and a quarter, I guess, Ted, something like that. And, and, uh, right. The new canning automation, all of that. So it's been a whirlwind, you know, but I guess, uh, one nice thing to think about is that doing all that in a pandemic, it's, um, I think it kind of speaks to the nature of the optimism of, of our company. Like we're, we know it's going to get better and we know it's a matter of time and we're all kind of in this COVID thing together. And so we're just going to keep getting better at what we're doing and making ourselves more and more prepared. And, uh, Hey, patio opens tomorrow. The tanks are full, you know, (laughs) life goes on, beer goes on. Yeah. We took it as an opportunity to like try out some loggers and to, to refine like very, minutely refine certain aspects of our beer. So, you know, make, make some lemonade out of those lemons as best you can. Yeah. And even like um, internal weeks in the bright. Yeah. Yeah. And construction projects, you know, like Mm -hmm. it was a perfect time to cut, cut down some drywall and move some things around. No one cared about the dusk when everyone's wearing masks and there's no open beers on the table. So we did some uh, renovations in our tap room as well. And just, you know, the plan is always upward, yeah. And then when yeah. when the world's ready for us to open back up in a full capacity, we'll be we'll be uh, even better than before. That's amazing. Um, so tomorrow is the the the, the new is that forever? Like that's the Ontario. Yeah, I guess I saw a lot of posts today about it. I didn't even realize it. That kind of explains it. Um, Out, outdoor dining outdoor and patio. Day. Yeah. Okay. We're only I think like two weeks ahead of you guys. We I think on Monday. This week, they just started indoor dining here, which is weird, man. I went to a cafe. Like, we, we were, my partner and I are pretty COVID conservative, so we hadn't really, I mean, obviously, everything. We had a curfew here, man. We didn't do jack shit, even if we wanted to. Um, but, you know, we were trying to, you know, order local Uber Eats at least once a week and, and support a restaurant and um, go to cafes and stuff. We walked into the cafe on Monday, and there was all these people inside. I was like, yo, what's happening? <laughs> it was like it genuinely like took me by surprise. It was very strange. It was a really weird feeling just seeing people sit down. It was weird, but but also comforting and normal, you know, at the same time. Just because you hadn't seen it in so long, it was uh, it's jarring. But it's really nice to walk the streets and see. Uh, I'm in I'm in like sort of the Queen West area, I guess, of Montreal. Um, and just all the all the patios are all open and just people out there enjoying stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, this is what life was like. So uh, it's going to be interesting. How do you guys feel about it? You feel pretty uh, optimistic that things are going to, I mean, obviously Mr. Ford is a bit of a wild card, but uh, that aside. Yeah. There's no the vaccine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. There's no, nothing certain, nothing certain. Yeah. We, I mean, we've gone forward and back a couple of times. This isn't the first whatever, you know, change name, lockdown, shutdown, stay at home. But 
um, you know, the way it impacts us has been similar across the board. Basically, stop your um, hosting operations and taproom operations and, and that. And, uh, I, you know, the fact that people are getting vaccinated and that the province feels more comfortable to, to lean into people outdoor dining, I mean, it's, it's only good. It's only a good thing. So, yeah, no, I agree. I think it's one of the things that kind of like was I found the most annoying where they were, they never provided data on the spread of this thing in restaurants and patios and, and things like that and breweries and bars and maybe bars like a nightlife bar where everyone's you know they're random and kind of squishing through people that can't possibly be good. But they they never actually provided at least that I saw like statistics and reasons to shut these businesses down. Is that accurate? They just they painted everything with the same brush because it's easier, I think. And uh, they didn't want exceptions because then, you know, I don't know. They didn't want exceptions, so they just shut everything down. There's a lot of reasonable Except things golf. like golf. Yeah, golf. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> golf, let's go golf. Come on, down for a couple months. Or like, or like provincial campgrounds. Yeah. Like yeah. Go, you couldn't go be, portaging. Yeah, like really, literally in the Canadian <laughs> wilderness, but that's not okay. Like it's just yeah, the hypocrisy of it all must be ten x all. One brush, one brush. They just wanted everything shut down and to get people to do nothing. And mm-hmm. you know, I guess they succeeded at that aspect. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I, I get it because, like, what I've, I guess, what we've all learned is a lot of people, uh, you know, for, for better or worse, are kind of idiots and and you know can't listen to things and don't take things seriously. But at the same token, hurting businesses something as simple as breweries with a patio, like. If they're if they're properly segmented and like you know make what however that looks for the uh, for the region, I've seen some here that have got like full wooden boards that kind of separate so it almost turned their patio into separate little booths. Just some other ones that just have little separate little dividers, um, you know, clear dividers or whatever. Like things that like I look at that as someone who's a little bit conservative and sort of would typically stay away. I look at that. I'm like, I would sit there. Have a drink like that looks totally fine because you're sitting your ass down, you're outdoors, the server's going to mask on the person behind you, like, is it really going to cough on you or nothing? Like, it's and there's no proof that literally that's spreading in these things. It's sort of like it's just unfortunate that, um, you know, Quebec did the same thing, painted with the same kind yeah. of brush as well. Everything was shut down here. Then we had, like I said, we had the curfew, we were a little more hectic than you guys, but I think that's probably why we were able to open up a couple of weeks earlier. Um, yeah, it's just being weird, but I'm really glad as well at the same token. And I imagine for you guys, the breweries have been able to survive and the passion for beer and, and the community wanting the breweries to survive this whole thing has been insane in the most positive way. Yeah, and we're only looking up from here, I think. This is going to be like the Roaring Twenties at now. <laughs> well, the only uh, concern is that people behave themselves. That's all I'm worried about. Is it? <laughs> I think everything else makes sense as long as people don't get too... Like I'm in an apartment building here and I noticed that already in, I don't know what it's like there, but um, you know, people in the, in the elevator and in the lobby aren't wearing masks anymore. And I was like, yo, I didn't hear that that changed. Maybe it did, but I didn't hear that it did. And I was already looking at that. I'm like, oh, y'all are chill. Y'all are not taking it seriously already. And it's like the first week type of thing. So um, that's my only concern, but I really hope that uh, people keep their shit together and we can... Uh, Keep it like this. So I don't want to see it closing in. And I'm sure you guys, more than anybody, don't want to see it closing in. Yep. It's just a- the, the summer's hot and people need beer. And, you know, we just we just want to do our part and give it to them. <laughs> right. It's just feeding the people with beer. Speaking of feeding the people with beer, 
Um, what shall we do next, folks? We have a uh, uh, options. I, yeah, <laughs> I think Chimera, a pale ale, would be a pretty good idea. Do I? Which one's that one? It's called Chimera. Here, I'll show you the label. Oh, that's how you say it. Okay, I thought it was Chimera, like a basic ass idiot that I am. Yes. Yeah, that's a great call. Yeah, that looks sexy. Yeah. This right. is also art by uh, Rob as well from Australia. Look at that. Right. Hey, I love it. We're changing the program. Only Rob beers tonight. Only Rob. Through Rob only. No, I'm kidding. That's the name of the episode. Rob <laughs> only. Give me yeah. one. Do you want to tell us a little? <laughs> I'm just going to walk over to the fridge and grab that beer. Do you want to maybe just start just talking about what, uh, what's in that one? Certainly. Yeah, so Chimera is uh, one of our... Uh, like we just for, we started foraying into pale ales this year, so Chimera is a, uh, I think maybe our second or third pale ale that we've done, but we knew we wanted to make it like a pale ale that we're always going to carry. So it's like a core pale ale at this point, and it's uh, it's New England style. Um, make it trying to trying to make it really drinkable, um, but still having the the little bit of uh, kind of aspects that everybody likes in a in a New England. Love it. This uh, this art is sick. So, how do you say it again? I'm sorry, man. Chim- chimera. Ka- chimera. Chimera. Okay. And yeah. so um, it's a it's it's an old old ass term from ancient Rome or Greece. Okay. Meaning, Greece, uh, I think. Things. Yeah, I think it's Greece, and it's uh, just mean two things that are fused together, or three things. Ah, uh, so it's a snake, a goat, and a lion. Yep. But you could have it in people. Chimerism in a human is a real thing. David Bowie had chimeric eyes. So he had two different tone eyes in the oh, same body. Oh, that's nothing. Okay. Yeah. And uh, children can have chimeric DNA, so or people can, where you have your mom and your dad's DNA in different parts of your body. And uh, so if you if you got a blood test, you come out the same on both, or different on both blood tests. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's fascinating. That's a, yeah. it's, a... it's, it's eight ancient. It's like 4,000 years old, the term. Yeah. Right. It, but from a, a mythological perspective, this is the the classic interpretation of the lion um, with the snake for a tail and the goat on the back. And there's a, I think it's sort of a supposed to be something about perhaps internal struggle or something like that. We had a lot of fun with the art design again. <laughs> Rob, um, yeah, was studying um, sort of the more ancient interpretations of the beast. And we kept coming back to this, uh, I think it may have been clay, but it was some kind of cured uh, statue, very, very old. And it's when he noticed that the snake was actually wounding the lion and the lion was kind of snarling at the snake. And so we decided to incorporate that. So there's, there's something there. Um, I love it. So I haven't had this one, so I'm going to be. I forgot to warn you. I'm going to do uh, a couple quick reviews for the ones I haven't had during the pod because you, you know I'm going to take. I, I actually normally would warn you, be like, I'm just going to take a couple of one-word notes, uh, tasting notes, on my phone because I don't want you to think I'm sitting here cruising Instagram and you know that's just rude and that's not what we're about here. What were the um the hops in this one, by the way? Uh, so this one is uh, a ton of uh, Centennial and Eldorado. Yeah, Centennial being uh, kind of the more traditional Eldorado being the new boy on the block, the new hop on the block. Yeah. (laughs) Ooh, that's a good episode name, maybe. New hop on the block. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll keep it up there. We'll see how we go. We might say come up with something funnier. 
right. Um, a dishwasher. <laughs> First of all, cheers, guys. Cheers. Oh, it smells great. Nice tropical nose. Nice, super light and crushable, just like a pale ale should be. Great mouthfeel. The Centennial, what does the Centennial offer in this one? Um, I, it, depending on how you use Centennial, you can get a lot of things out of it. Um, the way that we use Centennial, we tend to bring out the lime. Uh, citrus and lime, I get a lot out of it. You get a okay. bit of the kind of... Uh, it it, uh, it has a lot of um, uh, certain hop oils that uh, biotransform really well. So if you use it in the right aspect, you can kind of get some really nice, like, floral, limey, and citrusy notes. Um, mm. And that goes really, really nicely with the Eldorado, candy. which is just pure candy. Yeah. Right. That, okay. I was about to say. Um, yeah. It's, I feel like, is it, would you consider it, it's probably not quite that, but um, just whenever I, whenever I see sort of, like, the maybe older school... I say West Coast, but it's not really just that. But maybe a little more, just like you said, like the older hops in a New England. They often bring in elements. Like I feel like even now, thirty seconds after I've had a sip and getting a little touch of pine in the back end there. Um, yeah, yeah. That brings that element of almost like that East meets West type of thing. Like it's an East Coast IPA, but they got a few little elements of of the West, whether it's pine or resin. Or, or I think that. Uh like the tradition of New England IPAs always incorporated some traditional hops. Right. Like you're going to have Chinook or Cascade or Centennial or something in most of these. You're going to you know, have a beer from Treehouse that's a, the haziest crazy beer ever that has one of those hops in it. And I think that they bring mm. a big balance to it. Depending on how you use them and how much you use them in, okay. they bring like, they, they balance out the other hops, the, the more uh, showboaty hops. Yeah, showboaty. No, yeah. that's, a, that's a really good point. It's a good point about Treehouse because I always found that they have like a like them like I feel like Treehouse and Trillium are the best examples of the two main styles of New England IPAs. And Treehouse, which I didn't know that, and I think that might be the explanation because they were always felt like they were either dank or what I often confuse with dankness, which is I was told was like an overripe fruit, but that overripe fleshy kind of fruit vibe in there. And all of their beers have that, whereas something like Treehouse is a, uh, sorry, I'm talking about Trillium's more that brighter, you know, straight tropical fruit bowl, nice and chalky, a little bit, you know. So they, 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 those are the main two different types. And this kind of, you know, rides that midpoint there, which I, I appreciate these a lot more recently. I feel like they're a little more common. And I just, I don't know, it's nice to have that little, just a little touch of pine, just a little touch. You know? Yeah. Old and new. I think yeah. it works together really well. Yeah. Yeah. I also don't think that it sort of hurts the um, the accessibility of this this style of beer because as you say, it's it's kind of on the back and to me it just speaks to the to the balance of the beer, right? Like anything that's a pale ale or an IPA, New England or not, I think it's probably fair to anticipate a, a little bit of bitterness, a little bit of pine or a touch of resin, something dank after you get past the, the tropical notes. Um, and so I just think it evens it out and, you know, and it leaves you with something and it kind of drives you back for that second sip. Mm. And I appreciate the New England pale ales and all those things you just said for that reason. Cause I mean, look, the, we all love an eight percent of, but, you can't really crush too many of those back to back. Whereas like you could sit on this cause it's like, it's got enough going on, but not too much going. On. 
it's like once again it's like another fine line where you sort of like it's not like um you've got that I, once again now i don't know if it's piney is it piney bitterness is what i'm getting here you'll get a bit of pine and resin from centennial no matter how you use it Okay. Um, and then Eldo, Eldorado has a bit of that as well to it. It has kind of like a resiny candy vibe going on with it. Mm. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, th- there's, there's a lot to it uh, with just two hops because each of them do some pretty cool things. I love that. I, I think it's just, it's just great. Like, to, you know, I think it must be even harder to make this than it is like a, a double to, to be able to keep that level of um, flavor happening in like a pale ale. Yeah, the pale ales are a little bit more of a technical because because the body uh, doesn't have the aid of the alcohol. Mm. You have to bring the body up in other ways. So, you know, it Is ends up being wheat? a little bit of a challenge. Right. Uh, yeah, lots of adjuncts. So like uh, oats and wheat. Oats and wheat? Yeah, a little okay. bit of, yeah, oats and wheat. Oats no. and wheat. <laughs> oats and wheat. It's uh, you have no need that down. It's a, no, it's super, rib super sticking. Hey? I just said rib sticking. Oats yeah. and wheat. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's something yeah. you want, right? Fill you up. Now that's a it's a it's an underappreciated style, I think, perhaps. Um just because people are used to that boozier thing. But it's like it doesn't it's it's such like a hard thing to nail when it's like just enough flavor but for the for the body so you can keep coming back. But it's you know, sometimes these ones can be a little thin uh for for the for the five percent mark. Um because yeah. it can't possibly be easy. Sure. There's a bit, yeah. There's a bit to it. I think uh, pale ales are you're going to see them being really, really big going forward as well. Like, I think this is also like a big pale ale year. Interesting. Why do you think that? Ah, I don't know. You know, personally, I think there's a little bit of the COVID. Like, people have been trapped at home, maybe getting less exercise than normal. I think that uh, maybe we're a little bit more mindful of our alcohol consumption because we've been locked at home with nothing else to do. And uh, so a lighter ABV beer might be a, a good, like, a compromise, you know. Um, I think there's a I, – I just – I feel that the industry is trending towards lighter ABV. I can definitely concur with that from all the people I've spoken to and, and you know, in the last year and a bit. Um, I noticed that there's a trend towards – Pale, I haven't heard anyone say pale, so that's why I was just curious where you were coming from. But I think you're yeah. 100% right with the low ABVs. It's a bit of a, it's a funny thing. I've had conversation with other brewers. There's almost a curse when you say the word session IPA. And so one of our, we call them pale ales. We don't call them session IPAs. And to be honest, they've, we don't have any issue selling it. Sometimes they sell two to one to an IPA and other people say they slap the word session on it and it, the sales go to nothing. It's an optics thing. It's more, I think it's just a a perception thing, even if it's the same beer. Mm. I couldn't agree. Yeah, I think people have an anticipation uh, to what an IPA is, and I think it's easy to get around. I want an IPA, so I'm anticipating a 6 or 6.5% beer, right? And a session IPA, in a way, it's almost saying, like saying IPA light or discount IPA or something. <laughs> where an IPA is supposed to be, you know, this huge explosive, whether it's West Coast or New England, experience of hops and uh, and and just sensory overload. So I think it kind of betrays itself. Pale ale, I think is a working uh, moniker uh, to describe that style. 
basically putting all of our good hop work into play and achieving a bit of a lower ABV and, you know, still maintaining great body for these sort of hazy pale ales and, and, and a great mouthfeel. And yeah, as Ted said, like our, just our personal experience on a small scale, having released two to four pale ales and comparing them to our IPAs, they've been very well received and people see, uh, people seem very enthusiastic to, you know, have sort of the best of both worlds. All of that, all of that crazy, uh, crazy dry hop aromas as well as lower ABV. Great, great. Well said. And I really enjoyed the, uh, the cloud pale ale you guys did. That was great. That's fantastic. Um, I think you, I, I couldn't agree more. Like, I, I'm not going to lie. Just if I see the word session IPA, I imagine you guys still like, oh, I really want that. But pale ale, I'm like, yeah, I want a pale ale. I want a pale ale before I have an IPA. And then I want that before I have a double IPA. And, you, know, you want to like mm-hmm. have your little casual step up. So when I see pale ale, there's zero negative feelings. But when I see session IPA, oh, session even if it's a 5%, it's the exact same thing. Yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting, you know, mental gymnastics that's a little around that. Um, but that's that's great. That's really interesting to hear, actually, that, that the pale ales are selling well. I have heard, I've noticed that a couple things that um, no alcohol, like non-alcoholic beers, are killing it right now. And low-alcohol beers, in Quebec, they, I feel like they were doing it here a little earlier. I feel like I did some podcasts a couple of years ago and people were telling me, and I was like, this is ridiculous. Who wants a 2% nano IPA? This is like out of control. But I was extraordinarily wrong because clearly a lot of people want it. Um, you know, there's breweries that only do um, beers like sub 4% um, that exist out that's, here. That's a law in the States. Some of the States are only allowed to sell 4% and under beers. Is that like Utah or so, something? Uh, I don't remember what state it is, but uh, one of the brewers from that state wrote a book called The Art of Session, I think. Um, and it was all about uh, making every beer style adapted to four, less than uh, 4%. So how do you, how do you get every beer style to four percent and still make it balanced and and kind of reminiscent of that style? That's great. So, I love that. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's definitely become a trend. And the other thing that sort of sparked when you said that because of the pandemic, and I think that's really great that you guys are thinking like this. I remember that I can't remember where I heard this. Whether it was like um, I think it was online, like for beer writers had had there been like some survey from a magazine or something, and they were saying that. Over the pandemic, for the exact reason that you you said, Ted, that uh, people were at home and they're a bit more sedentary, they're not like, you know, moving around like they used to be. They wanted reliable beers, so they were less inclined to try new beers, and they wanted lower ABV beers, primarily, probably for that reason, but also they're drinking more often. Maybe people wanted to drink in either larger volumes as opposed to having two or three, you know, eight percent beers and done, would be rather excuse me, drink for more over time. So it seems like that, you know, 5% lower is becoming a thing. Yep. Have you guys considered um, no alcohol, like the non-alcoholic segment at all? Go ahead, Ted. I don't, I'm Uh, not sure that it's something that's, uh, well, I'll let you take it. It's pressure. Um, We have thought a few times about uh, seltzers with flavoring in them, mm-hmm. uh, such as you know, lemon essence or lemon uh, <laughs> le- lemon and lime oil and citrus oil. Uh, we haven't 
pulled the trigger on it yet. We've been tinkering around with seltzer a little bit. Okay. I don't think we're going to do like hard seltzers or anything, but, uh, Oh, like straight yeah, up, just I think, fizzy water. Yeah, exactly. Fizzy water with lemon. Just gotcha. to scratch that like hydration itch. And also if someone's there for non-alcoholic. Mm. And I personally like having seltzer water. So that, you know, one of those things, it, it would scratch that itch. Right. Uh, right. No, no salt plans on it yet. Not to okay. de-alcoholize, not to, to do anything like that. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, no, but, and I don't, I don't think um, straight non-alcoholic beer, probably not. But the seltzer is an interesting avenue. Yeah, the hard seltzer, right? Or the uh, probably, no, just, probably just, for us, just just regular, straight. Yeah, yeah. Carbonated water. I saw that um, a few breweries are doing it. I know that, like, and I don't know how they're doing it, but um, the Dominion City they started one called City Seltzer, which is just fizzy water, Bellwoods with their sparkling water and stuff like that. And I, yeah. my understanding. Standing. Tell me if, if I'm wrong, but I think it's like they use the, the leftover fruit from other beers that had been like, you know, dry fruited or whatever. And then they take that at the puree and they pop that on seltzer water. Is that accurate? Or? It, in I my don't know if there would be fruit. Yeah. Yeah. In my experience, almost every single seltzer, unless they're calling it a smoothie seltzer, mm-hmm. has no... Uh, has no fruit in it. I think they rest it's, it it's on it and like then a, take it out. Well, usually it's a flavor yeah. agent. So there's a guy okay. who sells several uh, concentrates. There's a few concentrates that are sold in uh, Montreal by uh, David Carrier, and there's a few others. Um, so I, I know that uh, pretty frequently it's just like flavoring agents. Gotcha. Okay. It's just a it's a fermentation problem, a fermentation and packaging problem. Putting putting fruit yeah, in the can. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It'll blow up, make it blow up. Yeah, I've, I'm sort of like on the uh, – I'm super pro. I love the smoothie sours, and I feel like the uh, the hysteria around cans that are blowing up is extraordinarily over-exaggerated beyond reason. Like, it's not even reasonable. The only beers I've ever had explode on me were pastry stouts and cultures. So, and I've left smoothies out for a week plus just in the warm – uh, house before I think can it happen absolutely um, is it at the level that people are stressing over I, I don't think so I think when it does happen it makes a mess because they're purple or some shit and it's like fucking up people's <laughs> fridges and they're upset about it and rightly so and there is a milder risk to it and I think brewers are doing what they can to mitigate that and pasteurizing I know Small Pony are doing it they're pasteurizing it and, and other brewers are doing the same but it's it's sensational too right i mean take take a picture of a beer that's in a can and then take a picture of a beer that's exploded out of the can and see which one people pay more attention to (laughs) and 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 then the other part of it of course is education right like allowing your consumers to know how to treat this product this product is not like the other products you may have bought here and it requires certain care and so I think I think it's both of those things. Yeah. Craft beer is expensive too. I mean, nobody likes to put their money into a small business and have it explode in their car, right? Yeah. I, I I get that side of it, <laughs> um, but but I think by and large, you know, you see a handful of these instances happen, and they kind of blow up, and they're very popular. And it's important to keep in mind that you know this beer was probably packaged. A multiple of thousands of times, right? So, what what percentage of defects really is there? 
and and then you can go from there on how it relates to to the consumer's handling but um but i i think going back to the seltzer that's that's a different concern because i think people feel, would should expect to feel comfortable maybe keeping their their canned water in a warm place or in a garage or something like that right so so I don't know what, what the future is for our non-alcoholic options. So we already produce an in-house seltzer, which is just fizzy water. We have the CO2, we have the tank space, we can chill it, right? Um, and that's sort of a, a value-added non-alcoholic option that we just serve to our guests and that we enjoy while we're at work because um, it can't be beer all the time when you're trying to work. Um, but hopefully, uh, hopefully there may be something in the future there in terms of, as Ted was saying, adding something, whether it's a lemon or a concentrate or something else, maybe, uh, we could experiment with, uh, who knows what, and potentially packaging that that could be a future Avenue. I like that. I think you may definitely worth looking into. Uh, we've got a couple of comments here. Beer in a bozo saying non-alcoholic beer is expensive to make and people expect it to be cheap. Uh, which is a great point. I've had breweries tell me that as well. Uh, Rorschach to have one. And they were saying, Matt was saying that um, it costs him just as much time, energy, and money to, to produce the non-alcoholic beer, but it's expected to be sold at a, at a different rate. And I think they don't make a ton on it. Um, he also says Wellington are doing the fizzy water right now by doing hopped water. That, that, that one's actually yeah. a pretty cool product where they're doing single hot waters, which is great. Um, we shouldn't market to the new non-alcoholic folks, boring bastards. <laughs> I mean, I respect that. I respect it. Yeah, it's an interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting time though, because it's sort of like if it wasn't for the pandemic, though, would would all of these things be as popular now? I don't know if they would. There's no way to know. Yeah, no. like a crystal ball. Yeah, it's but it's, but something would have. Something would have been leading, leading the charge. And then, you know, it's, it's our responsibility to adapt to that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing a, a light, a nano IPA in Vermont in 2019. Mm-hmm. So it was coming. I think the wave was coming The the light, uh, the lower the ABV wave was coming. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Anything Longer, that we see stuff. here comes from there anyway. Right. Like, yeah. It's like two years, one year behind. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's getting usually say. Yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's getting quicker. Super. It's getting quicker. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what? Do you, I was on, on that note, I wonder if it's getting slower. And we don't know because we haven't been irresponsible and taken a flight to the States. But um, I wonder if things are moving differently there because when you know, hardly any Canadians are traveling there, we don't know what we used to know. You know what I'm saying? Because like Montreal, we're, I think probably know we're 45 minutes from the border, two hours straight run to Burlington. And we used to go there every other month type of thing. And I know I know people here who went every weekend to go to the like Burlington Beer Co. or phone releases. Like I do not know what they would have spent to do that. They're crazy. But because of that volume of, of traffic back and forth and brewery, you know, the brewers are going to visit other brewers and collab and just check stuff out. Like I wonder if that transfer of, and this is just this region like imagine you know it's the very large land border here i'm sure there would be a whole bunch of, of, of uh, what's the word uh just rec- research market research that breweries at least from here going down there we're missing out on so i wonder if, if anything's different i think that uh, i think that there might be 
some flavor components that might be different. But mm -hmm. in terms of styles, like social media is really good about one thing, and that is telling right. you what people are doing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like you look at something from California, you're going to know they're still brewing hazies, but you know, now they have a Pilsner. But how, how it tastes is not going to be the same. Yeah. So, like, you know, we just know that they're doing an IPA. But because we're too responsible to fly down to California, <laughs> we don't know how that California IPA is tasting these days. Yes, uh, and I think I think this so. year is going to kind of help help fuse it together, so we can kind of figure out like where everybody's at. Like, are they going more bitter over there? Are they going more like I don't know? It's a good point because the West Coast seems to be a bit of a trend I'm noticing in both Ontario and Quebec. Even if we're just talking locally, it seems yep. to be changing. Um, in that way here, yeah, I, funnily enough, I just had a Vermont brewery on last week and um, the first one from the whole um, uh, uh, quarantine period and they didn't tell me anything that blew my mind as far as, and I think maybe you're right, Ted, that it's because of social media, we're all you know, pretty tapped in and seeing what's going on. If there was any trend, we'd hear about it. But they were just like, yeah, yeah more people are asking for lagers and they want West Coast IPAs now. I'm like, ah, oh, well. I see breweries in Ontario and Quebec doing exactly those things. So, like, maybe we're not as behind as as bad as we may have thought. But have you guys seen the trend for that? Um, as far as like a you know a bit more of a um, I don't know, like people asking for um, West Coast or other styles. I don't. Um, I don't know if we've had an outright demand for more West Coast. One of our uh, flagship beers, and I'm not sure if I sent you one, our Mindflay IPA. Oh, I've got um, that right there. Don't you worry. You've got that. I don't oh, think yes. we have. <laughs> oh, you have it? Maybe I'll have it after. Oh, yeah. For, uh, forgive me. Um, no you know, that's that's been one of our mainstays, and I think that there's something timeless about that. And I think that it's, Isn't that a West Coast? you know, there's – it's what, yeah, it's a Westie. It's it's oh, kind shit. of contemporary. It's kind that. of contemporary in that it does have some haze and it's got some um, some body to it. It doesn't necessarily have all that clarity, but it's still very malt forward and still hits on those pine and resin notes. And it's got some great citrus and and some fruit as well. Cool. Um, but uh, you know, that's a beer that we try to keep around as much as we can to kind of uh, please the all around seasoned drinkers who love craft beer and they're not necessarily enchanted by every trend that comes along. But by and large, I just think that it's a beautiful statement. Um, it's a beautiful statement on the, how good beer is in terms of like everything cyclical, which means that every style of beer has something to offer, right? It's like West coast is not dead. We just found this really, uh, exciting new thing, the New England IPA. IPAs that all of a sudden they're not challenging, they don't have to be super challenging. They can be very accessible and fruity and tropical, you know, and and enjoyable for a, a great foray into non-beer drinkers can try and start with the New England IPA. And then it's not like it triumphed over the West Coast. It's like give it enough time for people to get used to that and they'll remember what they liked to begin with. It's like loggers, right? It's like they come right back to it. And sours, you know, were the thing, and they still are super, super popular. But maybe they'll cool off, who knows, in the years to come. And then I bet you we'll see them again, right? And beer just keeps expanding and growing in its styles and its complexity. But it's all cyclical. It's like anything that's good. So West Coast is coming back. You know, that's great. 
here for it. I think you're, you're, I agree with everything you said. I think it's really interesting because I imagine all of us probably, I got into be a hardcore about 10 years ago. And that was when the time to start with macro lines and move to European lines and then ambers and browns and porters and stouts and then Belgian and then the other crazy English stuff. And then the trends came and you got New England's and South and like, and then now when it comes back around to like, it's just when you probably, you know, eight years of that time, you would have been saying that that shit is boring as hell. Now you're like, you know, like, like we were saying earlier, like lag has blown my mind in a way that if I didn't do that, go through that sort of, you know, wheel of, of, of beer or whatever it is, I would have appreciated it. And I feel like it's the same with West Coast now. Whenever I have a really good West Coast, I'm like, God damn it, this is amazing. And it's something that you appreciate because it's not around all the time. Whereas like, yeah. even, you know, there's great haze, there's average haze, there's whatever. And you're drinking that a lot and you're having a bit of a spectrum of that. But when you have something completely off the charts, that it, it just, I don't know, it seems to mean a little bit more or something now. Whereas like the folks who you kind of maybe reference are just getting into craft beer and all they've ever drank really is New England IPAs and they don't really know the difference. Like it's probably almost interesting to see them react to craft lagers and to, to West Coast IPAs and things like that. That we all—that's what we came up on. I remember, you know, the you know the IBU race back in the day. To now, it's the opposite. And then people who just came up on these soft, smooth, you know, chill New England IPAs and just get their face burnt off by these like West Coast and they don't understand it. Yeah, and, and they, they love it. <laughs> they love. Okay, that was kind of more of a question, really, like. Do they love it? Have you seen, have you guys seen that? I imagine people who even pre-pandemic, excuse me, coming I mean, into the tap room. And- my experience, uh, just in terms of being, you know, a, a small, new and young company where people come in and we have the benefit of dealing with new customers all the time because we're a small company, right? And some people come in, they're traveling craft beer enthusiasts, and then there's a percentage of people who come in because they want to support small business and it interests them. And, you know, you see the evolution of some of your clientele starting with really accessible things saying, you know, I don't really like hops. What do you have? And maybe you, you know, you show them your, your blonde ale or something very accessible or traditional or whatever. Right. And, you know, it's not long before all they're buying is your big hazy new England's right. And then after that, you see the move to something that's a little bit more bitter, maybe more malt forward. So I think it's just the evolution of the, of the beer drinker and we've all been through it. And it's just funny. I think beer drinkers like change and they like to switch it up the same way that they might enjoy fashion or music. I think they're just an eclectic style of people. They have that personality where, um, they get excited about the next thing and it's not at a loss of appreciation or love for the thing before it. It's just, you know, I've had a lot of new England's and, you know, Pilsner's lagers 10 years ago, someone might've called that dad beer is now the hottest thing in craft beer. So it's just, it's just funny how it's all cyclical, right? Like, of course it's not, I'm not comparing it to macro lager or anything like that, but, um, just how you know years ago you wouldn't even be a craft beer drinker if that was if that was your beverage of choice and now now it's what's hot so i just think that beer has so much to offer across the across the strata and the fact that it's cyclical and that it's moving along is just you know one of the things that makes it great awesome, man. 
I love it. That's great. Uh, Beer and Obozo actually just asked, and this is a, a kind of cool question as well. He said, just check the website. The barrel program looks on point. I wasn't aware that you guys have a barrel program. Can we uh, chat about that? What's the deal? Talk yeah, for me. sure. For, for sure. So uh, we've released four or five barrel-aged beers at this point in various quantities. Um, right now we have two barrel-aged beers on the shelf, uh, and we have four barrels that are aging right now. Um, yeah, so it's, we've been uh, kind of going at it's a little bit uh, larger than some people and smaller than others. So we've been doing four, four barrels at a time, kind of, uh, which is a bigger, a bigger batch than some people who do one barrel, um, you know, and smaller than people do, do a thousand. Gotcha. <laughs> what, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> what, what are the ones you have out now and what are the ones that are sitting in barrels? Um, so we kind of, we, we like to, when we do barrel age stuff, we kind of like to work from a, a base. Okay. So we have a single base, uh, beer, usually a, a big bodied Imperial stout okay. and we put that into the barrel. And then depending on what you want to do with it, we blend it from there. Okay. So, uh, for instance, right now we have a canned, uh, barrel age stout that is made with lactose, vanilla, and cinnamon, and it's called continual flame. And it is, it's very, uh, very big, chocolatey. Um, the cinnamon is actually Ceylon cinnamon, so it comes out very uh, cherry-like as opposed to cinnamony, um, and the vanilla count, uh, goes really well with it. So it ends mm. up being like a lot of people comment that they taste cherry in it. I get a huge amount of cherry from it, um, and it, and it uh, it's 10% ABV, so you know, nice. not as high as it could be, but uh, big, it's though, pretty man. high. That's big enough. Yeah, yeah okay. it's big enough. And then we got a straight, and we have a straight barrel uh, blend that's been bottle conditioned, so we have a uh, you know something cellarable. Okay, um, and when you say straight barrel blend, what what kind of barrels are you guys working with? Is it bourbon, rum, like? Yeah, bourbon. I, I like bourbon because I feel that well. I mean, based on you know how the industry works, you use a barrel after it's no longer usable. Uh, you, you buy it off the spirator if if like the person who's doing the spirits in it if they can't use it anymore. And the bourbon industry is ripe pickings because of the way that the, in order to be called bourbon, it has to be in a new barrel every time. So every rum comes from bourbon. Every rye comes from bourbon. Every scotch comes from bourbon. Like it is, it, it is ubiquitous in the industry right. uh, and we can get our hands on them real cheap and real easy. Yeah. I didn't know that. And they're, and they're usually, yeah, they're very fresh. Yeah. The bourbon industry, uh, they, the, mm. there was, the, I, I don't know if it was the cooperage industry. I think it was the cooperage industry lobbied um, the United States government to say that it's only bourbon if it's in a new barrel because they wanted to sell more barrels. That's crazy. And, yeah. 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 And so almost every barrel that is from spirits in the world is a, is a, a X bourbon barrel. Nice. They break them into pieces. Yeah. They ba- break them into pieces and they put them on a ship and they send them over to Ireland and Scotland and then they'll shave them down and use them for scotch. No way. They boil them, shave them down, use the scotch. Cheaper, it's cheaper than making their own. Interesting. Because, and the, the U.S. goes through millions a year. So they become an easy source. So that's why everybody does bourbon. It's just there. Ah. Uh, rum barrels, rye barrels tend to be beat to shit. They've been used 20 times, you know, two years a piece. This barrel has holes in it. This barrel's warped this barrel is not usable again. And that's when you get the, the rye. That's when you get the tequila. That's when you get the, the rum, mm. but bourbon are pristine because they're first use. 
Right. I've been told that like often that because when you get the bourbon barrels and this kind of explains it now, now that you give me that context, that there's sometimes a little bit of like dregs of the bourbon still in the barrel. The staves are all actually wet. So when you put the stout in the the barrel, it's really soaking up the the bourbon in in a whole other way. So my, my, my dad was, uh, in college, they used to go to the local distillery and buy their old barrels of rum. They fill them a third full with water and they kick them around the lawn for two days and it's called swish and it comes out 30%. So that's, <laughs> okay. that's how much liquor, that's how much liquor stuck in a barrel. I like yeah, it. These barrels are wet. Like, yeah. Really they're wet, wet. And there's like a, there's a couple liters in them. They, the staves hold a very large amount of liquor uh, of liquid as well. Right. Um, and, and so yeah, like, that's why I was going to say, don't stick your head in without a snorkel. <laughs> <laughs> we did a, so um, a good time. unless you want to have a really good time. We went to, yeah. um, in, in the before times, we used to collaborate with um, uh, tourism offices. That was how we were able to travel, right? And the of shit was getting that expensive. And we went to Colorado in 2018 and we went to Breckenridge, the Breckenridge distillery. And I'd never had, um, full barrel proof liquor before and like that was like they pull it out of the barrel and they get that little squirty water thing and they squirt the water in the shot or whatever yeah in the glass to to blend it up because it was full proof and then they're like no no no, you gotta boil that down i never experienced anything like that before so i can imagine putting your face in that barrel that would not be fun it's vaporous right you're like inhaling alcohol it's crazy it's It's so it's so it's so potent that you can buy um, bourbon barrel aged coffee. So what they do is yes. they fill the barrel up with coffee. They pop the, the head off. They fill the barrel up with coffee and the vapors get into the coffee and make the coffee have barrel, uh, bourbon taste, which is, that's I, a really big thing. I, there's a brewery here that did, they put um, one of the owners was a, uh, essentially a Cooper Tonnelier. I think it is in French. And they put the coffee beans, the green coffee beans in a bourbon barrel, take them out, yeah. roast the coffee beans, put them into a imperial stout, then put that imperial stout back into the same barrel that had the, the coffee beans <laughs> in it, and then release that stout, which is pretty, uh, pretty intense. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, right? Like, it's like, Jesus Christ, you got some time, but like, so, it's creative. It's like the circle of life. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> barrel, I don't think I've actually had bourbon barrel age, I, I've definitely seen it, but I don't think I've had, I'm a big third wave coffee dude and I haven't had bourbon barrel aged coffee, but now, now you've got me more curious. I've looked for it. It's actually really hard to find. A lot of it comes okay. from the States. A lot of it comes from the States and uh, there's a place in Alberta that makes it and they sell out whenever they make it. So it's probably pretty, yeah, they sell it. It's expensive. Yeah, it's like eighty bucks for a uh, for a pound, I think, and they have it in a big Whoa. like. It looks like a it looks like a whiskey bottle, but it's not in a whiskey bottle. It's That's just I don't know. I know. Hey man, like the coffee industry is great because it works alongside uh, beer like that. Have you guys worked with um, coffee roasters or anything like that? Uh, yeah, a few times. Uh, we just recently uh, so we had a custom roast made for uh, the Flores Java, which is a, co- a coffee brown. And then we had a we had another uh, roastery do some coffee with us for uh, Star Destroyer Stout, which is a French vanilla. And then yeah, we've we've worked with a bunch of people. We've done a a bunch of coffee beers. That's great. Yeah, Treblecock worked with us uh, 
they're excellent and we don't shout them out nearly as much as we should. They worked with us with Star Destroyer and then um, like uh, Small Roast. Yeah, Deadly Grounds, who's they're nearly our neighbors. They're just the next town over. Super cool if you dig our sort of branding and marketing and, you know, our 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 love of all things pop culture. And you like coffee, check them out for sure. Uh, they rock. And then uh, another uh, is Mercury Chocolate, which is just a small local, like, gelato shop, independent coffee roaster, chocolatier, like, just the, the, this beautiful uh, spot that I believe is Port Hope. Is that yeah. right? Uh, well, it's, it's Coburg now, yeah. Coburg, Coburg, yeah. They uh, they roasted uh, a blend they made for us for for one of our beers. So we we like to spread the love around and work with local roasters and local companies and suppliers as much as we can. Right? Like we get it. We're thankful for uh, every client and customer that we have. So we we try to make that happen too. Love that man. It's um. I feel like it's part of the fun of like the brewery. Like. The brewery industry is so parallel to something like you know third wave coffee, like local roasters, and it just makes sense to to, to work with those type of um, producers. That's very cool to see that. I love it. I love to hear that. Um, mm-hmm. How do you guys feel about the next one? Uh, I was personally thinking. Uh, how do you feel about sours? Love them. Here for it. Found it. All right. So we have our Ales from the Crypt. Yeah, Ales from the Crypt. All right. You want to talk about that? I'm just going to grab that and uh, briefly use the washroom. Um, I have my glass here. I'm going to grab that. I'll be back in like 30 seconds. Yeah, tell us about this one, guys. So Ales from the Crypt is our uh, black currants sour made with real real black currants. Um, It's, I think, one of our oldest sours. We've probably been making it for three years now, four years now. And, uh, it is yeah, very popular. It's one of our best selling sours. Um, let's just crack it. Yeah. It's one of those beers that people kind of come and ask for by name. And if you enjoy sour, if you've never tried sour beer before, perhaps you're not sure about craft beer, sour beer, maybe you're a wine drinker. This is a great place to start. Um, as Ted said, black currant, beautiful sort of whiny complexion with a uh, pink, fluffy cream soda head and tons of gorgeous tart aroma. Cheers. Maybe we shouldn't drink before our, uh, our gracious yeah, we'll host returns. Oh, we'll wait. <laughs> but uh, this beer has converted more grizzled uh, macro lager drinkers into sour drinkers than uh, Incountable. It is remarkable how many people who have never had a beer that wasn't uh, Coors in their life, life, and then they have uh, Ales on the Crypt, and then they become nothing but a sour drinker. It is it's so uh, pretty, true. Pretty funny. It's <laughs> so true. Yeah, and also all these like real um, like big like machismo uh, gentlemen who are like, ah, look at that. I don't like the color. Da 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 da. And then they drink it, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> it's all they're drinking. Yeah. Yeah. So I think sours, sours are, uh, they're not going anywhere. I think, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, just shows we have very, very few, uh, kind of flagship, uh, beers, but the fact that one of them is a sour is pretty, uh, you know, speaks to a lot of how popular it is. 
Yeah. I think sours are also unique in the sense that they don't really occupy a spot on the shelf with other styles, like where you could maybe, you know, you could compare lagers in a reasonable way and you could maybe compare the pale ales and the IPAs in a reasonable way. I mean, a, a sours or something else, right? And uh, uh, they're certainly in a league of their own. Here for it. Did you say what fruits are in this one? Yeah, this, this is just straight black currants. Uh, it's dry hopped as well. Yeah. What's the uh, honestly? Dry uh, the dry hops mosaic, and we do a touch of barberouche as well. Nice. Yeah. Color is gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I think that uh, black currant is uh, one of the best fruits to brew with, and I've yeah. used I've used a lot of fruits in my day, and I, I keep coming back to black currants. I used black currant last week in a different beer, and it's just it's the best fruit to work with. Great color incredible flavor yeah. and you don't need a lot of it no eh? no it is reasonable i'm not surprised it's uh like, look at the head it's like this beautiful pink color like the clarity is incredible here yeah it is uh the the bricks content of it is pretty low so it doesn't have a lot of sugar meaning it derives a lot of its flavor from uh from uh not from its flavor components as opposed to its, its sugar content okay i love that um I guess this is exactly what I was talking about with the old C and D. <laughs> but you, you made it work, you know. I love it. Yep, I remember exactly. It's it, not, I mean, they haven't made a TV show from Ales from the Crypt or from Tales from the Crypt from like nineties, maybe. Yeah, man. I remember they had watching that Tales from the Crypt Keeper. Yeah, man. I yeah, remember they had the, this the animated show. Yeah, and yeah. They, and and the the real life show with this dude. Yeah, yeah. that was the original. Yeah. That was, was the, John Tales Kaiser. What's his name? On HBO, John Kaiser, I believe, was his name. Don't you know? Don't IMDb it on me. But you know, this this is a good example because this is original art, and it's obviously a love letter, and it kind of dates back to the um, to the comic book. It started as I think before it was a show. It started as sort of like a flash fiction comic book, and so the label is done in that art style where it has sort of like the title treatment banner with the featuring characters. Of course, these are the ingredients in the beer. And um, this isn't lifted from anything. This is, this is just uh, a lovingly constructed uh, illustration with, uh, you know, that kind of showcases. Homage. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Homage. I love it. Um, it's, it's amazing. Like the, the black car really shines. You guys remember Ribena? It was really big in Australia. Did you, did you guys have yeah. idea? Yeah. It, yeah, it's like the syrup that you put in it, right? Exactly. Like a, in the show, we have this thing. It's really big called cordial, which is really what Ribena is. It's like a, like a, a concentrate that you have to water down. Yep. And this just looks yep. and smells like that. Like this is giving me flashbacks. Like this is crazy. Yeah. That's dope, man. Um, yeah, this is fantastic. I like the cheekiness of it, but I like the beer. Like once again, like exactly what you said. It's all about what's in the can. This shit is awesome. Um, I almost drank this a few times. I'm actually really glad I held off to drink with you boys. This is more fun. <laughs> Um, just because it was like it's great because it's 5.5% it's nice and light super crushable um, nice and like the, the black currant obviously uh, shines through above any sort of hops but what would you say the hops would add to this is like just that little backbone of like maybe tropical kind of um, it adds a nose to it that is like definitely adds a lot of nose to it because hops okay. specialize in one thing and that's aromatics um, black currants downside is it has a bit of a gamey nose so if you smell straight uh, black currant, it smells like 
it smells like almost fecal, it, not in a bad way, just like in a very like weird, uh, strong, strong way. And uh, it has a great flavor. It has an incredible, it's very tart. It's very dry, but it's exceptionally fruity. It's the most fruity uh, kind of fruit you can work with. Mm. But um, it, it has a few downsides. And I, I think the dry hop helps a bit. Helps a lot overcoming some of the strange uh, aromas from blackcurrant. And I never, as soon as you were sort of describing that, I was like, I don't think I've actually had a blackcurrant. I don't think they're like a readily available fruit like at a you supermarket, don't, right? You, you, don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't pop you don't, them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. They're just they, make pie, they make a, a, a mincemeat, not mincemeat pie. They make a plum pudding out of them, I think. It's like Bridge Mix has them in it as well with chocolate-coated uh, currants. It's not... They it's, might be it's in like mincemeat. Yeah, it might be in mincemeat. The mincemeat, like like the get, British mincemeat ones? Exactly, oh, yeah. Disgusting. They're very British. They're very British. That probably explains why um, we had. Did you, so did you have ribbon in here, or was it big or anything? Or not uh, really? They call it. Uh, they call it cassis. Not cassis. Cassis is the French cassis. name. That's a, oh, yeah. that the same drink was called cassis here. Yeah, it's a cassis syrup you could buy. It's and you can also buy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could buy uh, drinks that are also cassis. Like uh, it's like a it's a premixed version of it that's just like already got water in it. Okay, like in like a juice box type of thing. Uh, it's in a bottle. It's like it's like a in fortified a wine kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. I've so seen it. I've seen it once or twice. Interesting. Okay, but I feel like it's such a great fruit for beer for so many reasons. Like this, like this is like nice and tart and funky, um, but like extremely crushable, refreshing. Um, it, it's got like such a nice. Um, so many like really, and it's, it's it's like the perfect warm weather kind of fruit in in this kind of beer. Like just it just. Works. It's got that dryness that makes you want to take another sip. I think, like you said, it's not the the Brits. I forgot that Brits meant because I know in beer they usually say Play-Doh, but there was this ch- this. Yeah, when it comes to sugar, it's it, when it's sugar, it's bricks, or when it's fruit, it's X, bricks. Yeah, with an X. Yeah, okay. B-R-I-X. Yes, I remember. That's a percent. Of, that's a percent percent of bricks, sugar content. Percent sugar. We okay. That's yeah. good to know. I remember there's a um my my. Girlfriend, who's also the producer for the podcast, she has her own platform where she does wine, spirits, um, uh, coffee, and a little bit of beer as well. So we do a lot of traveling and combine everything, right, for liquid stuff. So we go to Niagara, well, once again, in the before times, we go to Niagara a lot. And they have this chocolate called Bricks that a company made specifically, like chemically engineered the the, the chocolate. And there's like a milk, uh, you know, a medium in the dark or whatever to pair with wine specifically based on the sugar content and different ones paired with different ones like that. And I've never heard the word bricks with X before. So it's all making sense now. Picture me with those little, it's a know, very, all, all the equations. Yeah. It's very old. <laughs> bricks, is, bricks has been around forever. It's one of the oldest, like Plato has been around forever. So has bricks. Okay. Same, same topic. Yeah. Yeah. Very, um, very old. There you go. Oh, no, no, that's it. That's it. Uh, beer and above are saying, do you guys use water chemistry? Like, do you know, use a pH to sour the beer over and above uh, anything else? Um, yes. Yeah, so we do, it's kettle soured for sure. Okay. We pre-acidify, we pre-acidify with lactic acid. So, and the reason you do that is kind of like a, a sanitary thing. Um, because there's no hops in the wort before you start, uh, you pitch lactobacillus anything can grow in there. So when you drop the pH down to about 4.7, 
4.5, it gives that, that protection from most organisms okay. growing and it like makes you have a more reliable uh, kettle sour. Um, we don't do much salt though. We keep, we keep our kind of like the calcium levels like, uh, like normal in terms of our base water. We don't do too much. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. It's, um, yeah. tell us more about your other sours. Like, uh, what's your sour program looking like overall? Uh, we have a few, we have a few, uh, that we do. We actually do. Uh, I mean, it's, this year has been such a, a curveball of like demand, supply and demand weirdness, but typically we try to do like uh, 30% sours almost like one a week. Oh, wow. If we do three, if we do three batches a week, one of them would be a sour. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah brew so sour at the end of the week. <laughs> it, exactly. We run it over the weekend and then we boil it on the Monday. It's like yeah. kind of, we've done that so, so much for the past year. It's only changed uh, just in the past few months. We've been a bit busier or up and demand's been up and down, you know, lockdown, not lockdown yeah, yeah. has been jamming everything up, but uh, we've done quite a few. We have a great sour called blood for the blood God. We have a, which is a cherry sour, okay. very popular. We just did Guava the Hut that for May the 4th. Yes. Yeah, yep. exactly. That, uh, guava is a great fruit to brew with. Uh, I, like I say, if the fruit tastes bad when you, you eat it or you like try out the – say if it's a puree, if you try the puree before you put it into the beer and it doesn't taste good, that's good. Because that usually means that it's not, re- it's not relying on sugar for its flavor. And sugar is going to ferment off. Right. And it's going to taste like whatever was behind. So like gua- guava is a pretty low sugar fruit. And then it stays pretty flavorful after it gets fermented. Mm-hmm. Is it the, yeah. like, I feel like guava has got to be the best fruit puree as far as like the nose, it, like just the way that it comes through. It's like just so consistent and it's gorgeous. I don't know something about it. It is fantastic. So my, my experience with guava is very positive. I, I have some fruits I hate, some fruits I love. And guava is definitely really high up on the list of fruits I, uh, fruits I like. Um, it, it, uh, only caveat is that it, it does tend to be very hazy. And that haze can drop out over time. And then like, if you have like a, if, if you have like a, a can, it, can, it sediment out in the can a little bit. I've had that happen in the past a little bit. Not, not okay. a ton. Does it happen to the yeah. guava in the hut one? Not, really. uh, not, not particularly. Okay. Uh, we did a guava like day one, like uh, back when we were open, that uh, kind of eventually got clarified a little bit, but that's because of its large pectin content. Okay. Um, but yeah, guava is a fantastic fruit. Great nose, incredible taste. It adds a sweetness to it, which is a really good plus. It means it's got some pretty complex carbohydrates and uh, it, it ticks a lot of boxes. It's cheap too. Yeah, the guava the hut. The guava the hut also has uh, like a really wonderful. I don't know if you've cracked one, but it has a really wonderful, almost like fat, pulpy quality. I don't want to say, you know, if it were a different year, I might say smoothie. But now smoothie beers are really a thing that means something, so I won't say that. But but you know, yeah, it has. It brings forward this really great sort of presence and this fullness and this denseness to the beer. Uh, and it certainly services it, and it's so big on aroma. And Guava the Hut's an awesome beer. It's sold out right now, but we actually have a small little run of it coming back um, in another week or so. So Keep an eye on the website, folks. No, I still have yeah, – uh, yeah. I've had it before. I think maybe Tim hooked me up with it initially. 
Um, but I still have one. I kept it uh, around the fridge just in case for, for tonight. But now, man, I'm going to crash out tomorrow, but I can't wait. Yeah, give it a good home. Give it yeah. a good home. <laughs> <laughs> I will not let you down, Tony. I will not, I promise you. Um, Beer and Abozo saying, lots of sours. Time for a collab with Bebo at uh, Third Moon or Half Hours. <laughs> So speaking of that, have you guys done any collapse? Is that something that you've uh, dabbled in a lot? Yeah, we've done them more in the past. This pandemic has been obviously kind of like a cold stop with most most collabs. Uh, I like I like the physical aspect of collabs where you get to go to their brewery or they get to come to you. And, you know, with the pandemic, that's such a huge risk. Yeah. So we haven't done one since last year. Okay. Uh, did we? Did, uh, we might have done a small, like a digital collab. We, we did a digital we collab with Mariner from BC. We did a lingonberry sour, which was a phenomenal, by the way. Yeah, lingonberry is a really good brewing fruit. Um, kind of like black currant, like it checks a lot of those boxes. I think Lincoln, like it's got the same ends. C O L N. It's Swedish. It's the Swedish berry. Lingen, L I N G O N. It's also known as a partridge berry in Canada. I didn't even know if I've seen it's it. A, okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a small little berry. It's in the cranberry family, I think. Okay. And it's got some of the similar taste characteristics of uh, cranberry, where it's got like a really sharp taste that's almost unpleasant. Okay. But uh, it, comes through, it comes through really nice in beer. Amazing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but we haven't, we haven't done a ton of collabs. We haven't done any collabs this year. And in the past, we've probably done a couple dozen Uh Okay. At least. Was it mostly yeah. local or people from sort of all over? Uh, the furthest away was BC. Okay. Uh, the closest was our neighbor up the street, Man Antler Brewing. So, Don, nice. you know, <laughs> that's a big window of, uh, you know, BC. <laughs> yeah. BC. BC mostly Ontario. Right? Yeah. Mostly Ontario, but not necessarily Durham region. We collabed uh, certainly in the first couple of years with people sort of all over Southern Ontario. I think it's something that um, we'd be, you know, super enthusiastic about, but again, it's just the climate. Um, I think online collabs are, they're wonderful and they're a cool thing, but you know, to Ted's point, there's something really special about sharing the brew space and sharing the brew time yeah. in the day and then wrapping with the beer, you know, maybe a meal and all of that. And uh Yeah. Yeah, it's a little. That's really uh, cool. It's not quite the same, eh? Like to do it digitally. Like I mean, I guess like even just if you want even context, like these, you know, we never. People used to always ask us to do Skype podcasts, and I would never. <laughs> there's no nothing they could have done to get me to do it. And then this happened, and we're like, well, what are we going to do? And now I like I see the value of it, and this is pretty cool because if you know, like still technically the border between Ontario, I was reading an article today. It's still not open. It might open next week, maybe type of thing. Um, so this allowed us to keep the podcast going to do it virtually. And I find whilst the missing part is like sitting next to you guys and like looking you in the eye and sharing the beer, blah, blah, blah. Like that was always such a great experience. And obviously seeing the brewery and get footage of the brewery and getting an understanding of it all. There's also a lot of convenience here because we wrap up and we can just roll one into bed and whatever you need to do, you know? So, like, there's kind of two... And as long as we're... I found that um, as long as we're drinking the same thing, there's makes it... It's the closest thing. It's like doing the virtual events. It's the closest thing to... It's the best, to, to, it's the best we can do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's the best you can do. 
but it's not that bad. Like, you know, the only thing, you know, obviously the, the, the restrictions of being able to talk over each other and stuff like that and have a normal conversation where we're all bouncing back and forth, it doesn't restrict it that much. Overall, the positives outweigh the negatives, what I, I found. Um, doesn't make me, you know, I, I still miss going to the breweries, but I'm like, it's pretty cool. But I can understand with collaborations, it's not the same as when you going back and forth over email or whatever about grain bills and stuff like that. Like, it's just not the same. So I can definitely, you know, pros and cons, I guess, at least. So hopefully yeah. we'll see a little more of that coming up uh, this summer or whatever, maybe. Maybe, I guess, we're all going to be a little cautious at first. And- as things start opening up, I think uh, you'll see more and more collabs. Uh, at least, like the, like I say, the more of the, the kind of people who are holding off for the physical collabs, you'll see more and more of it. <laughs> Of that, yeah. No, definitely. Have yeah, you guys sure. got anything in the works, or is it not not necessarily just yet? Um, nothing, cr- nothing really yet. Nothing, nothing crazy in the works yet. Yeah. yeah um, we'll reach out. We'll reach out and try to try to get something up. Yeah, I feel like you guys are doing such like fantastic, uh, fantastic stuff. It's almost like, uh, and maybe it's proximity because maybe I'm not there as much. But I feel like you need to be mentioned in the same in the same breath as a lot of other breweries with, with from what I can from what I've had of a lot of the things you guys are doing. Um you know, I imagine there's probably a lot of like Toronto breweries and stuff like that that uh maybe get more attention because they're in Toronto. I don't even know if that's as much of a thing these days, but I feel like there's there's, there's definitely a lot of opportunity for you guys to to continue to um Collabs are great for growing the brand, spreading the, the word around. You know, for for if you go and work with another brewery with them, they're just like, oh, who are these guys? Oh, I'll check you out. I'm like, shit, these guys are amazing. Why wasn't I? Why haven't I been ordering from them all? Kind of type of thing, you know. So there's definitely a, a yeah. lot of. I feel like there's going to be a lot of people discovering you guys if if, you ha- if they haven't already. Um, yeah, we're slow, we're slowly making our way around Ontario. Before the pandemic, like our reach was <laughs> Toronto, or it wasn't even Toronto. It's like. Durham region was our reach. Durham. And yeah. yeah, exactly. We used to sell up the street. And then now, uh, ever since we're allowed to sell by beer mail, we started selling more and more and more by beer mail. So yeah, you know, getting, getting around Ontario and getting out to some of those other breweries is, uh, uh, you know, things like that are probably going to happen more towards this year. Okay. That's good know, to hear. Especially as we get bigger, we can supply it. Right. That's we've important. also, we've also made an effort since we can, um, since we can now distribute uh, via mail province-wide to sort of expand our distribution in the retail sense where we're, we're looking at these, um, you know, highly curated, really nice craft beer uh, boutiques and sort of traveling our beer around. So, you know, um, we, uh, we've enjoyed uh, being uh, for sale with the Friends of the Friends of the Dominion program. We just sent a few beers back up there in Ottawa, you know, and you can find us, of course, at a few different spots in uh, Toronto and um, Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge. So part of the silver lining with COVID is that, you know, it kicked our butt into opening more channels of distribution via mail province wide, but it's also opened these opportunities where now there's people interested um, in Chronicle, you know, in, in the beer we have to offer. They just didn't have an opportunity because before that, the only way to get it was to walk through our front door, right? And so you basically, you had to be in town and we love our community. We love servicing them, but we think we've got something really special to share 
And we're really excited to be sort of an up and coming and growing part of the craft beer scene. And, you know, I think we'd love the opportunity to work with, uh, work with some breweries in Toronto. There's certainly lots of guys that we love and uh, we know we've got some fans there too. So, Yeah, man, that's, uh, that's super awesome. I love that you guys are part of the friends of the dominion. That was the first one that I saw that were, you know, a brewery bringing in other breweries and they're such great people out there. So, uh, and they've been really heavily curated. So, you know, the, obviously yeah. their taste, you know, they, they've got their ears to the streets as such. And, you know, they know that you guys aren't fucking around. So, I mean, that makes me very happy to hear that. Um, the other thing I was going to mention though, um, have you noticed from your online sales, say for example, the shipping, is there a region that, that uh, obviously outside of the, the, the local, that you're shipping to more than ever? Is there like, wow, like we're getting a whole bunch of orders from like this area. Is there anything that kind of in the data that stood out where you're like, wow, this region's loving us right now? Uh, what I found is that there is this almost amazing echo effect that every time we put effort into exploring new retail avenues in a certain area, you almost immediately see a return on that, meaning that, you know, a couple months ago we did our first run with, uh, to use, continue using them as an example, Friends of the Dominion. And then since then, you know, there's X amount of orders every week from Ottawa. You, you know, you can, you can expect to see the impact of that. And then similarly, uh, you know, we started making runs, uh, around Hamilton and now for sure, you know, you see orders every week from Hamilton, not necessarily the same people, but you see the effect of having, you know, dipping your pinky toe in terms of the, the actual local physical presence. And so it's, it's interesting. Uh, the outliers definitely, and this could just be an effect of where like sort of the affluent craft beer people are who have the disposable income, Ottawa and Toronto for sure. Um, and then sort of, um, West GTA, like Mississauga, Oakville, that kind of thing. Hmm. That's great. I mean, like, that's super cool that you've been able to at least correlate that part. Just know that, like, hey, if we go and land in a whole bunch of stores there, then they're going to order from that. That's, that's amazing. And even just the whole, um, one of the, you guys you guys nailed it when you were like, one of the greatest silver linings from the, the pandemic was that Ontario finally were allowed to open independent bottle shops they can sell whatever the fuck they want to sell. And like, I feel like it wasn't spoken about it. Kind of like, like, you know, I, I used to be in Toronto. My, my girlfriend's from there. My brother lives in Toronto. I lived there first. That's before we came out. That's why I was so connected to the Toronto scene. And I haven't been, I been went there for Christmas because we were allowed to go because my girlfriend's mom was by herself. So we were allowed to go there, but that was it. So we haven't been back barely one time in a year. It's pathetic and upsetting to me. So we didn't get to see I also haven't been into one of these bottle shops and I feel like it wasn't talked about like it, like it should have been talked about as far as just that breakthrough. in the industry. Yeah. I, th- I yeah. think that like it, it, it's a big deal, but because it's, it, because it's like replacing something that was even bigger than it, like in draft. So mm. they shut down draft, but they gave you bottle shops. So, you know, the people who are running the businesses are like, okay, this isn't, quite as good but fundamentally it is a huge paradigm shift for the industry but because it's replacing something that's more important like it's replacing something that's like it can't it can never compete with draft um people are still like you know having 
you know, they're still not doing fantastic. These bottles, like the bottle shops are doing great, but it doesn't replace what they had before. So there's still like, you know, some, some uh, bar owners are still like, well, it doesn't make it better. But I think after the pandemic, it's going to be a super big game changer. Some people have embraced it entirely and made their business into nothing but a bottle shop. And those ones are doing very, very well, you know, and I, I, but I do think it is fundamentally the biggest thing that's going to come out in the crappier industry. Uh, even maybe even bigger than the Ontario wide shipping, like the province wide shipping. Absolutely. It's kind of, you know, it's uh, no business wants to pivot and not be forced to pivot by someone else's hand. Right. Like if they're a bar or whatever, and they were already servicing a craft beer population and they were already stocking craft beer on their taps or whatever it is, then, you know, these are people who are known in the craft beer scene and, and, when they move to become a bottle shop, I think they're maybe checking a box that really excites their existing clientele because those would be, you know, craft beer drinkers. Um, but yeah, we, um, you know, some of the businesses we work most closely with are restaurants and bars because they're our customers and our licensees and they've been through hell through all this stuff. And while it's been a good rule and a good change and a good way for them to make some revenue, I think Ted's right that just sticking through it at the end of the day, if they can go back to what they're doing and have this additional sort of freedom to sell retail as well, that would be very good for them. And that would be good for us. And it'd be good for craft beer and the consumers and everybody. So there's nothing silver lining. You're so right. Like imagine going to bar hop. And then drinking, you drink like, you know, whatever, half pours of six different beers and you, you, you leave there with a six pack. Like, I mean, that's the brewery experience. That's the taproom experience, right? And, and like, yeah. obviously, you know, that's what, it depends really what you're going to. I liked it you know, going, whenever I was in Toronto, I'd always go to some sort of beer bar, but always typically would go to breweries and pick up a bunch of stuff to bring back here. And, and I just lacked the idea because we can't do that here now. For the most part, I think they've kind of changed it because of that. That's one thing in Montreal that changed. Um, uh, was that, say, even I live around the corner from Judas Ciel, like the main you know, the, you know, yep. OG brewery here. And you could go there. And whenever someone came to town, I'd always take them to Judas Ciel. And we'd have to go to a depreneur to go and buy the beer if they wanted to take it home. But now they can finally sell. So hopefully they just like what you're saying, they can keep that there. So... I just feel like it's all a part of the experience, whether it's a brewery or a beer bar. You know, you might have a bottle of wine that you like and you want to take that bottle of wine or that cider, your Revel cider or something that has these fantastic things or some, you know, local Niagara wine or something like that. To be able to be able to bring that home, like, as consumers, like, okay, well, the world isn't coming to an end because we're able to bring home yeah. some damn, you know, bottles and shit. Like, and do you know what someone said to me the other night? I'd be curious to see what you guys think of this. Um, who told me this? So my friend, uh, have you heard of Sankiem Baron, 5E Baron? They're in Gatineau. Uh, I've heard of them. Yeah. So along with Third Moon, they were the top five. They were two of those who were the top five of great beers, like best new breweries of 2020. Uh, they're good friends of mine. One of my good friends is the, uh, the, the marketing manager there. He was telling me, he was like, um, when they just opened this week or last week, and he was like, yeah, people have been coming there and they open till 9 p.m. And then they'll grab a four pack or an eight pack and then leave. 
But beforehand, you go to a brewery, you'd be like, ah, cool, we're next to it. Where are we going next? We're going to this bar, we're going to this bar. But then everyone's out of that like nightlife mind state. So they grab what they need and then go home and, and kick on and keep doing their thing. So there's this, there's once again, potentially a, a paradigm shift that feels temporary, but it's still there where people will go to the brewery and instead of thinking where next, they're like, Oh cool. Let me get some shit to go home with whether they're at, they come to Chronicle and they're drinking all night and they leave with that. That's what they can do anyway. But if they go to Verst or um, any other beer bar around, they, you know, it's so cool that they could grab, yeah, let me give that bottle of wine, that bottle of cider, you know, these eight mixed cans and stuff like that. Like it's, that's, you know, that's so beautiful to me. I love that. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's not really, a, there's no downside to it. It's not like anybody's none. getting hurt by it. You know, exactly. And thus the sky isn't falling. There's not anarchy in the streets. We've been doing it for a year now and it's like, it's pretty chill. It's like, exactly. It's like, why didn't we do this before? And it'll be a good lobby case for Quebec as well saying, well, you know, Ontario again, didn't get destroyed by this. Why can't we do it? Absolutely. And it doesn't hurt breweries either because, you know, you can go to a brewery and you can have that same experience, but you're only getting that brewery's beer. And meanwhile, you go to bar hop or whatever. Right. And let's say when, when the doors open, you can enjoy their beer and you can, you can pick whatever you want. But of course um, it's going to be at uh, like, it's going to be slightly more expensive or whatever the markup has to be because they're producing it from the brewery. Right. So I think it works for everybody, for the consumer, there's an, off of um, of the cost of a good for the convenience of, you know, if you go to Chronicle, you've got all these great Chronicle beers, but we're very happy, actually. You can find our, some of our beer at Bar Hop. You go to Bar Hop, you can find Chronicle and all these other wonderful Ontario breweries, right? And so there's the value added there, right? And I think that it's, it's fine. It's fine to pay for that. So yeah. I, I just think open, open the gates, you know, let the, the, as Ted said, the, the sky isn't falling. So let people sell beer, let them make something out of this crazy pandemic, give people yeah. opportunities to, to, to make the most they can with their business. So. Yeah. I want to see that continuing and just changing the paradigm for, for everything moving forward. Cause it's, uh, it just, it makes so much sense. It's so, it's so cool to me that finally you can do something like that. And before we were so restricted and, and it's ridiculous. You know, we've been able to drink in the park here. That's one of the reasons I moved here. I thought it was amazing. You had to have a packet of chips and you're good to go. And I'm tired, you get arrested. And then, yeah. or you get a ticket or something. And now they're chill about it. They've figured it out. And in a, both both provinces have given and taken in different things. Everybody's been behind in different ways. And that's really cool to see that change. And, and, and hopefully that will just, all the industries, craft beer, craft spirits, craft cider, craft wine, all of that. And, and then obviously the restaurants and, and the bottle shops and, Everybody wins from these changes, it's, and, and then on, on, I guess almost most importantly, the consumer. All we, all people yep. want is choice and the ability to make their own damn decisions. To be like, you know what, I'm leaving this restaurant. I like that and that and that, and I want to take all of that to go. Like, let them do it. Who cares? It's crazy. Um, a brief, brief question here, actually, for you guys from Beer and Abosi. Says Steve Boshane was asked what he thought was the next trend in craft beer, and he answered spontaneous beer. Do you guys have any? Um, What's about that? Or any plans? Well, we're constantly working on our, 
you know, changing our brewery all the time. We have a big plan in the next few years to do uh, some wild sours. So I would like to start a small but coherent wild sour program. And that's, you know, something that I've just been waiting to do because I don't want to do it half-ass. And um, so spontaneous, like a truly spontaneous, like cool ship sour is something that I, I don't think we have the, the wherewithal to do yet. (laughs) So probably not spontaneous, but definitely wild. Like I would love to work with a couple of funky, funky bugs and do some real nice barrel stuff. And that's one of the oldest chronicle ideas. It's just so funny how mm-hmm. things change and when they develop into fruition. We've never lost it, but it was one of the one of the first uh, torches that Ted was ever carrying. Um, was to do yeah these wild sort of hours. wild ales. So yeah, one day it's sure. coming. It's yeah. coming. Yeah, yeah. I love oh, it. Definitely de- wild towers. Definitely, yeah. Love to see it. I feel like yeah, that's definitely like. Uh, just a super fun thing to be able to kind of mess with and um, get involved with just like, you know, takes the sour program to that kind of next level to be able to like mess with it. But the spontaneous thing is a whole other uncontrolled beast, you know, that's a different conversation almost, but yeah, the wild stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, it requires a lot of iteration or a lot of uh, redundancy. Like you need to have lots of barrels to make, make sure you have something that makes it to market because you know, you, not everything's going to work out. You know, you need 10 barrels because, you know, maybe half of them will have problems or maybe they're not suitable for what you're looking for. Yeah, great point. I've had some uh, sours before that tasted like vomit, literally, which I think is a known um, <laughs> yeah, but- Butyric acid. Yeah, the butyric yeah, isovaler- acid. Isovaleric acid, isovaleric acid, yeah. Not, not the greatest thing in the world, but, you know, part of the game, right? And I drink some vomit mm-hmm. to get some fire beer. Fine. <laughs> um, yeah. He beer and Bozo also said New Ontario Brewery in North Bay are opening a bottle shop. Maybe I'll see some uh, Chronicle stuff up here. Have you? We'll uh, we'll put that we'll put that on our list. We'll take a look. Yep. New Ontario Brewery. Keep that keep that out there. I was uh, yeah man. Uh, I feel like it's it's really cool though, right? Because like I, I think North Bay is like that full like, sort of northwestern kind of part of Ontario there with the uh, on the lake. And it's just sort of cool that like now that there's a possibility that people in these regions are going to be able to have access to all of this beer that they couldn't before because that brewery might decide to be like, hey, let's put in an order. Like, give me a bunch of cases of all of this stuff and then you know, the locals get a taste of something new. So it's exciting for the locals. It supports you. It supports them. It's just like, it's one of the coolest things. Like, there's like being able to sell beer from other places. I think like it's almost like, it's it's more fun even than the, these the independent bottle shops because it really showcases that camaraderie that's in in craft beer. Even if you didn't know Dominion beforehand, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But the fact that they thought like, and I know because my friend Andrew works there as well. I know Josh and Scott and everyone, but I know Andrew's one of the dudes in the van with Randy and Jesse and them. And they come through and they just drive to all the fireplaces at day night. They're just beer fans. They work there. Yeah. They're beer fans. They're like, fuck yeah, let's get some Chronicle, man. And they probably hit you up, like, yo, what do you got? Cool. Chuck in the van, let's go. Like, I just I just love that ethos. It's so cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a double, it's a it's a good win. Like, you know, the as a brewery, you can serve some other, your friends, right? That's one of the aspects of it. And then of sometimes, especially if you're like a really busy brewery, you can plug some of your holes. Like, you know, if you're, mm-hmm. you're selling all your beer, 
and you don't have a light beer, maybe you can sell someone else's light beer. Like it's a, it's a, it's kind of like everybody wins a little bit in this aspect. It's, it's also a really wonderful thing because as a brewery, you know, you carry a brand and in a lot of ways you're like a, a bistro or a restaurant where you've got a small production team and you've got sort of one guy at the helm of it and, and the quality of product that comes out is unique to you. And it's not unique to the restaurant down the street or the brewery down the street. So when a really great brewery uh, recognizes your product or says, you know, this is something that I think that our clients, the people, you know, that we hold in the highest esteem would enjoy. Um, that's, that's a really wonderful thing. And so, you know, we, uh, yeah, we love sharing great beers. Love is as much as we love making great beer. So. Do you guys have that? similar program where you've been able to we don't yet um we have you know just sort of the the way that we've kind of stumbled into our own business model is that we've always had such a high selection of beers like i think right now you know these are yeah we've got 19 taps that are all full but we've also got 12 or 14 cans in the fridge today um so just by virtue of that. But I, I will never say never. I mean, if it's something that we could do, if we have a day when, you know, we've had days where we're so close to selling out of beer and would it have been nice to have one of our friends sort of fill a, fill a shelf in the fridge to keep the door turning and in a way to say like, you know, we love these guys. If you like us, we think you'd love them. You know, I think there's, there's potential for that in the future. Could be interesting. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point because I was out like I'm still mind blowing the fact you have 19 taps because I feel like that's uh, <laughs> not super common and you know it's dope that you're able to do that and also be able to keep like we said 12, 14 different beers canned and you know, really offer that variety which is, it probably speaks to a lot of the success you know that you, you have done so many different styles so well and you know it, it speaks to, to to the way you guys approach everything it's it's fantastic I'm, I'm loving it. Um, what, uh, what do you guys got coming up then? Like what's, uh, what's next for you guys or anything you can sort of spoil a little bit or tease a little bit? Um, we got a one special, so I, we didn't really talk about it today at all, but one of the things we're known for is milkshake IPAs. And, um, I, I know that they're kind of a flashpoint, like some people hate them. Some people love them. Um, we have been making them for quite some time and uh, I think honestly we do them really well. And uh, so they sell, they sell super well for us. Um, we have a great couple of milkshakes coming out. We don't do a lot of them, maybe like every one or two a month we do. Uh, and we have just, a just enough. So they disappear right away. <laughs> so you <Yeah>. need, <laughs> I don't think I've ever had a milkshake from you guys. I was like the milkshake. We have a Twitter account called Team Lactose. Like we're 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 pretty obsessed with that for for quite some time. That's amazing to hear. Okay, like, I think I'm, it's I think it's one of our most sought after beers. To be honest, uh, the beer right. that we get like that people ask for by name the most. It it picks up. It's called Lawn Lawn Milkshake IPAs or OG. Um, just it's it's a real IPA. With mm-hmm. uh, a shit ton of lactose, okay. or sh- sorry, shit ton of vanilla, vanilla, and a and touch of lactose, yeah. touch of lactose, and a little bit of a touch of lactose. Yeah, and um, it 
it like I know lots of people do uh, have done milkshake. I've had some fantastic milkshake uh, IPAs in Canada, um, like you know Milk Shark for instance, and I've had some in the U.S. like from uh, um, Tired Hands and such, like you know the, the OG milkshake, yeah. <clears throat> and um, so we have a we have one black current milkshake IPA. We'll do a little spoiler on that, and it is it's coming out real real nice so far. That's so that'll be out in a, that'll be out in a couple of weeks. Okay. Yeah, and and before that, I think our Lon Lon Vanilla Milkshake will be making a return, which I'm sure will be uh, will be briefly enjoyed. But if we get a chance, we'll send you up some. If you enjoy the milkshakes, oh man, you I know do. they're a contentious style, but honestly, yeah. um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, people love them so, and so do we. Yeah, yeah, we got We got a, a way that we do them, and people like them, so we're gonna. You know, as long as we can do them well, we'll do them. That's yeah. amazing. I'm so down to try that. I feel like uh, milkshakes are a style that kind of, they're still kicking around, but they're not as hyped as they used to be. But when they, like, when that, whenever I have them again, I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. Because they're just, they're not as prevalent anywhere, like whether it's here, Ontario, the States, wherever. It's sort of harder to get your hands on this. When you do have them, it's like, wow, like this is fantastic. It's a really great style. They, they're very polar because there are some breweries that will sell them. Like for instance, uh, Milk Shark. Uh, the last time I think uh, Bellwoods put out Milk Shark, it sold out in like five minutes. And uh, I don't think they website. do anymore though. They, they used to like. Oh, uh, they did. Oh they yeah, did that, uh, a month. Really, yeah, a month the or two ago they did. I just got the. No, raspberry. no, it wasn't raspberry. They did it tangerine again. It was a grape, and then it crashed their website. Oh, the grape know. one. Okay, the Concord grape. That was yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Okay, so like I feel yeah. interesting. That's good to know. Yeah. So there's there's style. There's certain still um, examples. Yeah, there's certain examples of the style that uh, are well received, and uh, ours has always done very well for us. Um, it also has a very a very nice label, so it, it tends to make its way on the internet for nerdy people. Uh, yeah, have come knocking no, on the not in that label. super cheeky way, but in a slightly no, cheeky in way. Subtle, so, in a subtle way. It's yeah, a not, like, not like this. It's it's yeah. subtle, more subtle than that. <laughs> yeah, services the milk. legend of Zelda. Ooh, uh, fan. Long, long so. milkshake. Yeah, I love that. Yo, I mess with that. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah, that makes me very happy. I'm, I'm definitely. Please keep me posted on that. That makes me very happy. A uh, beer in a bozo. I was like, "What was the beer again?" That had the good fecal matter nose. It does. <laughs> it was this one. The ales from the crib. But I'm not getting any poo yeah. at all. No poo whatsoever. Uh, this is black currant can. Black currant can do that if you don't uh, treat it nicely. It just uh, it has a hint of something different. Um, and and uh, kind of earthy and, and yeah, drinking. like. Uh, just different, um, but it's it's not uh, it, it present in this particular beer. Right. But if you didn't dry hop it, you might notice it a little bit more. Apparently, that would make sense. I definitely need yep. to just try some black currants and to see. Now I'm super curious because I didn't like. Where do you even get black currants? Probably like a you buy can you can you can buy candied black currants at the grocery store. Okay. They're like in a in a plastic jo- uh, tub, okay. and they're like candied sometimes. Um, to find uncandied, you might be able to find them frozen at like Whole Foods or something. Mm, okay. Like, yeah, I uh, guess. Yeah. They're probably not even used they don't, to, like you said, a pie or something. Like, they're not even that like a... Uh, primarily, they're for pound cake. Maybe. Yeah. I, no, not pound cake. Yeah. Like fruit, fruit, fruit cake. Pudding. 
Fruitcake. Fruitcake. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. There's, there's, they sometimes dye them green, and so they have red and green ones in your uh, thing, so it looks like Christmas. No yeah. shit. That's hilarious. Yep. Yeah, they, it's like plum pudding. Maybe it's plum pudding, too. Yeah, they're in plum pudding as well. Raisins, raisins, and currants. Oh, ew, I hate raisins. Is that like you said the um the, <laughs> the mince was it the mince pies those gross ass like British things? Was that what yeah, you said they're all too? British. Everything's British. British. Everything Everything's current is British. They're, yeah, it's yeah. they're like raisins like that. Like they have that fleshy quality where it's almost like meaty when you mince them up, right? And so they're used as that 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 filler. Um, I I think it was just sort of an like the mince meat thing was just an economical sort of recipe you know it's right. like get all this this sort of field berry <laughs> mince it up until it's something uh substantial to, to fill the old uh, gullet yeah yeah keep people warm during the uh the cold times hey man here for it mm, yeah um <laughs> no this is great boys was there anything else we wanted to touch on to make sure we got into or we feel like we uh we went into it uh, how you feel no, I think I think we covered like uh, some pretty eclectic array of beers here. We got <laughs> yeah, to talk just, about a lot of fun stuff. Yeah, man, I, I feel like this is this is really great. This is really gives a you know from the, the crisp to the uh, to the haze to the sours, like it really shows off what you guys are doing. And uh, look, I'm like honestly, like I only met you tonight, but like five minutes before we went live, and you know we'd spoken for the last little while, but uh, I've been impressed for quite some time. And I feel like it was like every beer I had, I was like, God damn, this is, it's, I don't know, it was almost like better than I expected because I had no expectations, I guess. And I was like, Jesus Christ, this is phenomenal. I'm, I've just been really impressed with everything you, you sort of been doing from like you were saying, the branding, cheeky or otherwise. And, uh, you know, the, the, the quality of the beers from the different styles, uh, you know, stouts and sours and haze and crispies and, and everything in between. It's, uh, it's very cool to see what you're doing. I love that you guys have sort of were a part of that second wave of that Durham, uh, you know, the what's really happening out there, which is, it's pretty cool that of all regions, that region is like popping for craft beer. It doesn't really make that much sense on paper, I guess, but you know, the fact that you're there. And like I said, I've really noticed a, um, you know, a bunch of really passionate people who just love what you're doing and, and uh, super, it's excited to share it and, and tell people about it and make sure that they can get your beer stuff in people's hands. I, I love that. I think it's, it's great. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's another brewery that just opened up in the Durham region a month ago. Uh, oh, new ritual. New, new ritual. Yeah. Tim. Yeah. 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 Tim and Jim. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, they make some really great hazies and some good loggers too. Like great loggers. I love that. Um, you know, yeah. The, Durham it, region's got it. Durham region's got it going on. What doesn't yeah. come what see us. Yeah. Um, no, it's amazing, guys. I really appreciate your time. Um, do you know what we haven't done? We're going to do the thumbnails. I'm going to take a screenshot of, uh, of this. We're going to hold up some, uh, some cans. I'm going to see if I can get one, three in my palms. I've done this a few times. Let's see if we can get it right. Uh, come on, come on. Get it, get it, get it. Okay. I'm going to do two instead. Let's see. <laughs> it's always awkward I've done this so many times I can still never get it right there we go okay <laughs> oh that is gorgeous that is stunning alright got it um beauty 
Hey, honestly, boys, really appreciate your time. Stick around. I'm going to wrap this up. Stick around after, and we'll, we'll say goodbye properly. But where can everybody find uh, Chronicle online? Whether it's website, social. Yeah, we have a big presence on Instagram and Facebook, but uh, just go to chroniclebeer.com. Every time we drop a beer, which tends to be on Thursdays, you can catch it there. That's where our online shop is for province-wide delivery, uh, special details, more information about all of our beer, and also just our general contact information, what's going on at the brewery. Um, but for like the, the up-to-date, you know, what's going on, uh, also sharing uh, – beers of ours that people are enjoying of course you can check out our instagram stories and our facebook stories and our posts so find us on social media check out our website if you'd like to try our beer chroniclebeer.com chronicle brewery on uh, on social and yeah check us out on the podcast too <laughs> i guess you're already we, here we we ship to north bay so you know if you're looking for a beer there you go oh beer. yeah beer to bozo is shipping to north bay there's uh yeah there's 12 to 14 different beers you can get hold of right there Get them in your face. Uh, boys, this is awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Like I said, stick around. We'll, we'll chat in a sec. But everybody, thank you so much for watching and listening. If you enjoyed the episode, smash the thumbs up. Hit subscribe below. Hit the notification bell so you know when all the new new drops. Follow us on social media at BOS Podcast. And check out the long form audio so you can hear attractive gentlemen like John and Ted talk about craft beer. We'll be back tomorrow at 9 p.m. We'll see you guys then. Peace.